know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone so I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 66. Look, I didn't forget it this time. Episode 66 of Anglophies, where we're talking your Star's War. Stars, Star's Wars, Star Wars, whatever. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And today we are lucky enough to be rejoined by one of our favorite people, Cleolinda Jones. Hey guys! Who has <clears throat> womanfully gone through the entire Star Wars cinematic saga. Not the EU, but the, the entire cinematic saga of Star Wars thus far. And um, kept we gotta track have of- an- we got to have an asterisk by that, because yeah. uh, I didn't do Phantom Menace, because I only had it on VHS, and also, okay. I'm not I'm not dealing with that in 2018. Like, <laughs> I'm just... No, nobody has time for that. It's <laughs> no, I saw it enough times in the theater to cover everybody. <laughs> and I've seen we... it multiple times, I just regret it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I don't because I charmed my way into postponing a final for it. But, you know, it, it, it was a life experience. <laughs> I had Jar Jar on all the pizza boxes. I was in college. I was so mad. I was so sick of his face. I <laughs> didn't see it until it came out on video. I was working in a video store at that point. I think that's probably how I took it home and saw it for free. So, Well, at least you didn't pay me. I- paid lots of money <laughs> Jar Jar Binks the original minion discuss oh <laughs> well no because the minions actually succeeded in like becoming a multi-billion dollar sort of franchise of inescapable doom so they're worse I think Jar Jar Binks mm-hmm. a minion ahead of his time mm. more racist there's a lot of oh, uncomfortable racial stuff going on there <laughs> Definitely. Oh, George Lucas, you had ideas I, and other things. I do have a, a Jar Jar bank. It's 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 a piggy bank. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I love it. Unironically, I love my Jar Jar bank. <laughs> it has led to several awkward conversations in inopportune times, though. But now all I'm thinking oh of my. is... Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Not thinking of that. Thinking of Jar Jar Banks, and now I want somebody to Photoshop Jar Jar Banks into all the Mary Poppins stills. Oh, God. Somebody make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody do that. Please, I need it. I need it in my life. So, as our listeners, as our faithful listeners may be thinking, hmm, I remember them promising special guests back in December of last year. 
This appears to be April and possibly May, depending on when I get around to editing this. Uh, We're timely people. What can we say? Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah, there were several reasons. We took our hot take and then we fermented it like kimchi. I had spinal surgery. Uh, this, <laughs> that, that was a surprise. I was in a specialist office on my birthday screaming in a wheelchair. So that was December. And uh, it was, I, I didn't get to go see The Last Jedi in the theater. I am eternally salty about this. I will never get over that. So not only did I have to wait until it came out in March to be able to see it, like I'm just now able to sit up for long periods of time. It was really, really tough, and we're kind of, I think it's at the six-month point that I would actually be mostly healed from the surgery, and it's probably an entire year before I've gotten, like, all the strength muscle tone back, they said. So, stuff happened, and y'all were kind enough to actually hold the topic for me <laughs> until I could claw my way back, so... It's it's all right. This this has been a year. Both my grandparents passed away in January. So like the year oh. happened and it's been like the worst year ever. <laughs> so. A lot has happened this year. Yeah. Like a lot. Lemon, it's Wednesday. <laughs> and yet. Mhm. I mean, a lot has happened just this week. Like wow. Yeah. It's someone said at one point last year about politics yesterday is as distant as the burning of Rome. <laughs> That's like every day. Yeah. It's like... Well, quite frankly, I think it worked out well because uh, your epic live tweet rewatch of the entire series, um, I think just makes for a really good podcast fodder. So now we have that instead of just talking about the one movie and how it's like my teenagehood, the movie. <laughs> But in space. I, I did this for you guys. I, I did it. I needed to rewatch it. I hadn't seen the original trilogy in like 15 years or something. And I wanted to kind of go ahead and get eight movies out of my system and say everything I wanted to say rather than dominate this episode with, oh, my God, but that part, remember? Oh, my God. You know, I wanted to actually be able to say something of substance rather than just recite the high points. So... And now we we conveniently have this as like a read along to go with this. Right. So I I do want to get a first impression for you. So having finished this, uh, we'll, we'll call it kind of a machete order. Uh, well, it's it's not exactly, but this is. Let's take all the like the prequels, the the originals, and now the sequels, and like watch them as if they're one story. Do you think it works at least mostly as one story? I think it does with a couple of things that work differently. The difference, I think, in the machete order is that you do four, five, then you jump back to do two and three. Mm-hmm. You skip Phantom Menace because nobody's got time for that. <laughs> and then you come back and you do Return of the Jedi. Right, because it, once it, you get to the big reveal of Luke, I am your father, and then you get a flashback. Of, like, what that means for him to have been his father, who he right. was as a person. Yeah. Which is, so, I always thought was a clever idea, but you did, you just did the let's chronologically watch the story unfold. Yeah. Let me find out who knew what when, and what if we knew all this stuff about Anakin first. And also, the, the machete order is old enough that it doesn't take Rogue One into account. Right. And right. I really wanted to get that moment where you segue so cleanly from 
Vader and Leia straight into A New Hope. I really wanted to get that. And I think Rogue One is the... It's a really strong addition, but at a couple of times it undermines the fact that we see Vader before A New Hope. We see him in the tank. We see what he can do that he then... The fast zombie violence aspect that I talked about. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do as much and is much more slow and lumbering in his movements in the next three movies. Mm-hmm. So they've kind of set up something they don't really make good on in the past. But at the same time, if you with the way we watched Rogue One in the theater after everything, it actually brought a lot of new life to something we already knew because suddenly we're like, oh, this is why everybody's scared of him. Oh. So in some ways, Rogue One does work better afterwards but in some ways it informs a lot of like like dj works a lot better when you have cassian saying we've all done terrible things because if you don't have rogue one you're like what has the rebellion slash resistance ever done that was so terrible Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but when you have cassian you have that kind of informing dj's point of view so it kind of cuts both ways i liked the story order i like that just fine but it's it is interesting, and I did see more of like the Anakin Padme stuff paralleled later. I saw a lot of like the Luke and Vader stuff and Obi Wan kind of paralleled later with Luke and Ben, and it was or or even Poe being kind of sequel Han Solo. Like there, it was really interesting to watch it as an entire series altogether. That worked really well. So, meanwhile, what I've done, is, and this isn't something I did in the preparation for the episode, it's something I've been watching. Um, there's a content creator I follow, uh, Charles Sonnenberg, SF Debris, and he did a background deep dive on the making of his, one of his mini-series specials that obviously I'll be linking to. And I'll, we'll link to Cleo's um, kind of storifies, right? You've got Threader app, is that what we're using now? <laughs> yeah, it's on uh, Thread app because it did it automatically rather than me have to put it into Storify. Also, I've heard that Storify is shutting down. Yeah. 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 I don't know when, but I need to get, I, I heard you can back up your data from it and I need to back up like the list of tweets, that data, so I could use it elsewhere, but... That's like the least convenient thing that's ever happened. My God. Okay. Yeah. So, Monsters. But but we will link to it. But yeah, um, I recommend the SF Debris specials to our listeners a lot. First of all, it's like really well researched and so detailed and you learn everything you ever wanted to know about the making of Star Wars. But just really knowing where some of the decisions came from is, it's great. You know, like it, the really obvious where... No, Vader wasn't meant to be the father from the beginning. It was going to be like a Three Musketeers thing with uh, Vader, Anakin, and Obi-Wan. And then we just didn't have space. Okay, we ran out of room to put a third person in there. So we had to conflate two of them into one. The funniest thing is probably comes in later in the series when he's talking about the making of the prequel trilogy. And he's like, you may, you may wonder why Naboo has democratically elected child queens. But there's a reason. And that reason is that Anakin and Padme have to get married in movie too and you're like okay but why but here's the reason they need a senator 
to have been the target of an assassination plot. They need a love interest for Anakin. They don't have time to set her up in movie two, so they have to introduce her in movie one, where she has to be young enough to where it's not creepy, but also she has to be a princess, because they're remaking the same Japanese movie they remade to make the original. So she has to be a princess... She has to be young. She has to be the senator and the love interest in movie two because she has to be the same character because that's where we're introducing them all. Therefore, Naboo has democratically elected child queens. I'm over here clutching my face. (laughs) (laughs) See, that just sounds like an extended Ponzi scheme to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually explains a lot about George Lucas, I think. Mm -hmm. Multi-level midichlorians. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. bless George. He just, I, I, you know, I really kind of admire the fact that he got people to give him all of that money to do that. And then I do sort of love that when he just gave it over, he did give advice to everyone at Lucasfilm and Disney, and they were like, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy was just like, the door is there, George. Just, you know, you also go enjoy your retirement. Start really feeling for the guy, because I think. Uh, Charles Sonnenberg when he makes these has a lot of sympathy for him but what you learn is you know he started these movies uh, his wife was like the primary editor in them they made them together but then he like they took over his life to the point where he lost his family making these like the marriage ended up in divorce he didn't he made the movies like for kids that were now he didn't now have like a relationship with he made like the Lucas Ranch as this vision and it was all like slipping away from him like you kind of feel for how this ate George Lucas's life and he couldn't, like, keep clawing his way back out to, like, just keep his head above the water. <laughs> yeah. What I want to know about the behind-the-scenes stuff, because I've heard some of this, do they talk about, does SF Debris talk about his editing process with the acting in the prequels? And how, because I saw, I saw a little bit of this in a video at some point, how he would literally edit multiple Hayden Christensen takes together mid-sentence like it's no no wonder the acting is like wooden and terrible because it's almost ai like i think that was mentioned yeah because i do kind of i actually kind of remember that particular thing of like editing mid-sentence and just re-editing it to like fit remake the story how he wanted like there's some of that yes wow i did not know that that to me is the single biggest mistake he made in the and i'm including cgi java in this that is the single biggest mistake he made in the making of these movies because it's like you get you actually got really good actors and you won't just let them go you won't just let them act it it goes a lot into what is essentially kind of the feeling where george lucas had to write some of these where he actually straight up didn't want to write and they tried to hire like other screenwriters and just kind of follow his outline but then they it wouldn't work out for multiple reasons so there were multiple installments where he didn't want to be the writer or he didn't want to be the director but because of like time money or the fact that he couldn't let go of the ownership of the story a lot of it's on him it would all like fall apart and then he would have to be the writer he would have to be the director and he doesn't want to direct actors. He wants to direct, like, the light uh, magic... What was it called? Light industrial magic? Industrial lights and magic. Yeah, uh, the ILM stuff, right? Like that's, So that's why how he treats the actors, like their CGI. So it does go into that. That's Like, it's on him, and a lot of it is on, like, what the studio constraints kind of meant that, with the kind of person he is and the kind of... Like, yeah, I think it was really the conflict of, like, George just let go, but he couldn't let go. He didn't want to do these things, but he also couldn't let go either. So he ended up doing things that he knew he was bad at. He knew he wasn't that good a writer. I don't think this is directly comparable, but it does remind me of 
the making of the Hobbit trilogy and how much Peter Jackson did not want to do that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. but still did it, and you can tell that he did yeah. not want to do it. Oh. My shorthand for this was there being too much movie in the movie. Mm-hmm. Someone told me that Revenge of the Sith was originally a four-hour cut. The beginning with General Grievous, who is not my favorite character anyway, goes on for six DVD chapters. It's something... Oh my god. I think originally they told me, uh, people on Twitter told me, that whole section was supposed to be an hour unto itself. This is like the first plot point. And I'm just sitting here watching this on my TV going, I can't, I can't. I'm on painkillers. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. The Grievous thing, that's addressed on the making of, because... Essentially, like, he he needed, there was one villain, but, like, he needed to kill him in the beginning of the movie, so they had to have, like, a second villain to be, like, it was, like, Count Dooku, so they just, like, made General Grievous to fill a role, because they couldn't have Count Dooku be, like, two things at the same time, and then, like, yeah, that, like, so that's what, like, there are all these things that he never planned for, that kind of just happen, and then in later interviews, he goes and says, I planned that, and, like, George, literally there are diaries and interviews, and everybody knows that you didn't, you know? He's like, oh, like, Le- uh, one of the famous examples once the prequels came out and like Leia dies in childbirth and, and then everybody's like, but what was, Padme. sorry, Padme dies in childbirth, but what was Leia talking about when she's remembering her mother? Oh, I always meant for it to be Organa's wife. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You just didn't. Just, it's fine. It's okay. Things happen. <laughs> People also walked me through that as I, because again, I saw the prequels first I watched those first and got to the original trilogy and I was trying to walk through what everybody was referring to. And I would be like, okay, wait, there is yet another. Does he mean Leia? No, actually he meant Anakin Starkiller, but that didn't end up in the movie. So we're just pretending it's Leia. And I was like, oh, okay. But like when Barrow and Lars are talking about, oh, your father, like they're way too cheerful for the backstory they ended oh, up yeah. having. But it's still funny to watch them be like, Oh man, your father. Oh man, that wizard Obi Wan. You're like, no kidding. Because the Ben Owens, that stuff was filmed when it, when Vader and Anakin were still two different people. Because right. originally, what one of the very first things you learn in the Sess of Jupiter special, so I'm not, I don't think it's a spoiler, is that this the original idea was that it would be like 12 movies, but it would be like a B roll, like sprawling epic. So Leia was never going to be the sister. The sister was going to be um, a character in like the six next movies or whatever, right? Like he thought he'd have these 12, almost like straight to DVD type stuff. You know what I mean? Like he'd have all the space in the world. I mean, it wasn't straight to DVD at the time, but you know, like that's the kind of quality slash like space to tell the story we're talking about. And when it didn't turn out to be like 12 B-roll movies. (laughs) It's like he foresaw Netflix in some way or like the animated series in some way, like a legit, (laughs) A legitimate animated series, not just a Saturday morning cartoon. Right. It was based on some sort of format that was kind of popular right before these were made. I, I don't remember, and I don't know the like history of American cinema that well. Just to, you know. I mean, it's like um, B-movie, kind of like the serial dramas you would have got before the movie that you saw when you paid your like nickel and saw two movies and a roll of news and things like that. I mean, that's what Indiana Jones is as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the serials that he grew up watching, your, your Flash Gordons, your kind of dazzling adventure cowboy kind of stories been taken you know clearly with a whole lot of ambition but not always with the the technical know-how or the the sheer ability to to keep a hold of it really mm-hmm. i mean you know he like george lucas is not a dumb man he's a guy who has 
so many incredibly earnest ideas, but applying them to, to humans and to the industry of Hollywood, which he had a huge part in completely rewriting. I mean, him and Spielberg are partly responsible for the entire creation of blockbuster cinema. And I think, I think actually he did give an interview recently where he talked about kind of regretting that because Spielberg did as well. But now that cinema is at a level where they can do all of that things and Disney intend to do it because they paid $3 billion for this and they're going to milk it. Mm-hmm. I think they've made the money back by now. but Oh, they've made it. Yeah, I think they made it but with Rogue One, actually. Yeah, I, I tried to rewatch the prequels with more kindness. I don't mean to make that sound condescending even, but remembering the serial idea and uh, that whole kind of vibe. And also hearing from a surprising number of people, uh, both on Tumblr a few years ago and on Twitter, how much some people, usually younger, who had grown up with this, loved the prequels. And that's just a completely different mindset than what I'm used to, which was, you know, me being in college in the 90s and everybody talking about how Phantom Menace ruined their lives. Mm -hmm. And so this is an extremely different mind frame. And I kind of thought, I don't want to get on Twitter and kind of parrot the long-term party line about these movies are the worst thing ever. Because number one, people do that with The Last Jedi and it makes me mad. So I was like, okay, number one, let's not do that. Number two, let's not upset people who really like these movies. I'll, I'll mention if something, you know, Anakin Padme discourse, we'll go into that. But let me just try to go in and try to see it through the eyes of somebody who really loves it. Skipping Phantom Menace really helps that. But, you know, too much pod racing in the pod racing is just too much for me, in addition to all the other stuff. So, I I don't know necessarily that I enjoyed it more, but I had more patience with it. And I was able to say, look, all this stuff is actually really cool. I think there's just too much of it. There's just too much footage. It could have gone on for 15 minutes and it goes on for 45. That seems like a reasonable Oh, yeah, complaint. definitely. You know, but okay. even like um, even the Phantom Menace has the jewel of the fate scene, which is brilliant. You, know, there, did, you can pick parts of things from the prequels where clearly it's like it's landing on you know it's firing on all cylinders. The target has been you know shot in the bullseye. So something like jewel of the fates. I mean, even if it's just for the John Williams music, like he has never like, stopped being good. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was anyway. That was the one thing I embedded. I was like, jewel of the fates. Okay, this is everything <laughs> you need to know. And I love the costumes. Although I don't know if today they would be considered appropriative. I don't know. I had I love the costumes in the tri- uh, prequel trilogy. And I've read a lot about the influences. So I, I don't know if you'd consider them a remix of many influences or you would consider them appropriative. That's kind of an open question I will let other people answer. But I do love the detail that they went to with so many of the uh, Padme costumes. Yeah, um, I mean, Star Wars has always kind of had the the we're we're pulling influences from many different places and putting them together. I mean, um, consider it was no a remake. In space. Yeah. Oh God, drowned in moonlight, strangled by her own bra. Rest in rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. But even if you consider that the original movie and the the newest of the of the sequels were both remakes of the same Japanese movie. And that movie is a hidden fortress for anybody mm-hmm. curious. 
which which is where that rumor comes in like was Luke supposed to be a a girl at one point and like there's even art he he was Luke once Luke was a character was never supposed to be a girl Hidden Fortress is about a general escorting a princess so in the original outlines when it was still just almost like a remake of that but in space that character was was a girl mm-hmm. when we decided that this was going to be a farm boy with a sister you know like that's when but yeah I think what's really interesting about Star Wars, both the, the Lucas era and the sort of new one that we've got, and is how they're trying to walk this really fine line between being quote-unquote auteur movies and still trying to adhere to this kind of studio code. And I think that you've seen Lucasfilm struggle with that for the past couple of years with the new films. They think, hey, let's give these films to kind of like scrappy up-and-coming directors and they can kind of put their stamp on the franchise and we can really grow into something new. And then they panic and like, no, do what we told you to do. Mm-hmm. And there are exceptions. Like, I think if you know Ryan Johnson's work and his sensibility and the kind of filmmaker he is and his influences, you can see a lot of that in The Last Jedi. But he seems to actually be okay with doing what Kathleen Kennedy tells him to do. Whereas from what we heard about Gareth Edwards and both um, uh, Lord and Miller, who were supposed to do the Han Solo movie, that didn't quite follow through. Um, well, and so it's Colin... very loose as well. And Colin Trevorrow. I mean, does anyone really yeah. care about that? <laughs> But, but I mean, I see Ray running around in high heels, crying about how she doesn't have a baby. Oh, he still follows <laughs> me on Twitter, and I don't know why. <laughs> I I think it's interesting that they did try to get all of these, you know. And I say young in a relative sense. We're not talking about teenage directors or anything, mm-hmm. but up and coming directors, and they're all white guys. That's that's interesting. Like they put all of this faith in these, you know, white guy directors and maybe there are directors of other genders and races who might have shown up and been able to play in the sandbox a little better, but we didn't try them. So that's that's one thing, but the other is that I I think even among those directors, you can see some of them can play better being a director for hire rather than an auteur because Ryan Johnson brought some really interesting stuff, some really unusual stuff to the last Jedi, but was still able to play within the boundaries they gave him. And then it seems like Lord and Miller just weren't able to manage that to Lucasfilm satisfaction. So I think some of it is just the working style. I mean, obviously JJ Abrams can drop into any franchise practically and, just lens, nice. just add lens flare and exactly. <laughs> Actually, he was pretty low on lens flare in, in Force Awakens. I thought apparently even his wife told him that he needed to stop doing that. There's <laughs> less of it, which I admire that woman greatly. But you know, I, I mean, I know that Ron Howard got a lot of flack for like, oh, why is he the one taking over um, Solo? And it's like because he's an old school, robust like studio style director. Because he he's can probably drop in friends with it. Kathleen Kennedy. He's available because a lot of that is like who is currently available. But like, there's a guy who knows how to bring a film in on budget, on time, and do what a studio wants him to do. And I think that we kind of hold our noses a little bit at that today because we love the idea of just like you know, I will fight for my art, says a bearded white man in a baseball cap. And you know, clearly that didn't work for the two guys who wanted to turn Han Solo into Ace Ventura in space. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing about Ron Howard was I sat there and I went, oh, thank God, he he can bring this in. I I don't really care at this point what the artistic integrity of it is, because 
they have to bring it in on a certain budget in a certain amount of time. And it's just going to be a complete garbage fire. Not even artistically, but like they're not going to be able to finish it if they don't bring in an old veteran who can be like, okay, here's how we run it. I'm a nice guy. I'll get along with everybody. I'm sort of a gentle, you know, easy to work with guy. All right, let's get it done. Because mm-hmm. they had like how many weeks of filming were they supposed to have had left? Like six? Like three. Three? It wasn't even. It wasn't even. I think it was about a month, if that. Like they were close to the bone on this one, and I think you know after what happened with Rogue One, and we just saw last month Tony Gilroy did an interview where he basically said, "I had to rewrite pretty much the entire script. I had to do extensive reshoots, more than was actually reported on, because this movie didn't have a plot or a structure." Wow, that makes me Jeez. sad because. I really liked what Gareth Edwards did with Godzilla. There were some really astonishing visuals in that movie. It it looked so much better than that movie had any right to look. Except like we didn't see half of it because they would close. <laughs> okay, I have the funniest movie theater story about the, the new Godzilla movie. <laughs> There's a scene where the human characters are watching Godzilla and like the moth monster start fighting, but they're in a bunker. And as they're watching, the bunker doors are closing on this cool fight that we're not going to see. And the guy sitting beside me goes out loud into the movie theater, hey, I was watching that. (laughs) (laughs) I loved stuff like that, though. I loved sitting in the airport, and you can all you can see is, like, their feet. They're so big, you can only see their feet. But you can see the entire fight on a TV up in the corner. I loved shit like that. I thought, And then... The thing I'm really thinking about are the red smoke flares as they parachute down. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. When they said they got him for Rogue One, I was like, I understand why you did this. That actually sounds really interesting. Not that Tony Gilroy isn't great, but that makes me sad that that didn't work out. And I mean, you can tell from the trailer compared to the movie Rogue One. Oh, yeah. Some Mm -hmm. real different shit happened. Real different shit. So. I mean, half the iconography that's in that initial trailer, like the stuff that was clearly designed to be put on the posters and have these inspiring images, it's not in the movie. Like the What Will You Become, which was such a great closing moment of the trailer. That got But me. just that famous shot of, of Jen, you know, standing in the black hallway with the lights yep. where she's wearing right. like, the, the garden. Or, that's not in the movie. Yep. Or when she goes to face down the TIE fighter with just a blaster. That's not in the movie either. I mean, that whole trailer seems to point towards a completely different you know what will you become different narrative and you're just like wow what's that about i actually like the narrative they came up with and if you i don't know exactly at what point or how much gareth edwards did do if if that's what we're talking about but he mentioned just filming just random stuff the shot of Jin was just them randomly playing around in the hallway and him being like wait that looks really good there's a really cool shot of krennic kind of with his hands folded and his long cape, and it really does not indicate what a dweeb he turned out to be, you know, but it's a great shot. And he said they filmed several different endings, endings that weren't even in the trailer, like, oh, they get shot in the doorway and they collapse there. Oh, then in the trailer you see them run across the beach. Like, they filmed a lot of options, and I remember one of the complaints against Lord Miller was that they weren't filming enough coverage. And the idea is if you have all this expensive equipment and these expensive sets, you are damn well going to film as much as you can and as many takes and as many angles as you can possibly get because we might have to do reshoots, but we really don't want to. It's expensive. And they weren't getting enough coverage. And Kathleen Kennedy... They were also um, 
Oh, Kathleen Kennedy. I, like, I think she's got so much shit. Like, one, how many women are there actually that are the heads of studios? Like, literally, mm-hmm. I think there's about two or three of them now. But, you know, she has shepherded that, that franchise for a long time now. She's been the producer behind some huge hits in Hollywood. And she knows, like, this is not your playbox. You don't get to tinker around in this for, you know, X amount of days on our time, on our money just so that you can, like, live your auteur dream, I will clamp down. And the rumour about Colin Trevorrow was he felt like he could do whatever he wanted because he had Spielberg in his corner, and Kathleen was like, fuck you, <laughs> you're gone. Which, let's just appreciate that for a moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, and I mean, I think the Han Solo movie was a bad... I That, that was not so the right I. time. That was not the right time to start trying to do things different. If they invent some characters for you to mess around with, okay, do something completely wild. Do Pulp Fiction in the galaxy. I don't care. But with a character as iconic as Han Solo, they're already under pressure to deliver something people will not, like burn the building down for i still don't understand like the thing is the, the han solo movie and i anybody who follows me on twitter knows this that i have some just innate problems that the trailer didn't solve Pro- one kind of incidental one being that it's a justice love story and i'm like except i've had my entire life of knowing that han and leia are it so why would i be emotionally invested in a romance that i know is not going anywhere and b i'm supposed to sit here and watch two hours of han solo happy-go-lucky having fun like adventuring around the galaxy and i'm sitting there in the time go sitting there the entire time going your son is going to murder you your son is going to stab you and drop you off a bridge your son your only child is going to kill you in the most dramatic way possible have fun yeah i mean i kind of like the idea um i think it was paul Bettany who's talked about the film being more of kind of like a heist movie and i actually think that's a really cool way to go with it but i really wish it was more of a just like a contained story. Here's like here is young Han Solo just shooting the shit in the galaxy. That's fun. I don't think it needs to be necessarily like a quote unquote origin story, because origin story implies they're sort of like, oh, he was the young happy go lucky guy, and then something bad happened that made him who he is. Like, but when we meet him, he's just you know, uh, you know, a swaggering dick with a great spaceship. That's kind of the fun of it. Mm-hmm. But also, I like. I seriously feel sorry for Alden Ehrenreich, who's a wonderful actor and has had to deal with. In my opinion, I think this is partly studio sabotage. They're, they're setting up in case it fails by pinning a lot of it on him, mm-hmm. which I think is very unfair. But also, he has probably one of the hardest jobs to do for anyone who's joining this new franchise because he is playing Han Solo. He's playing probably one of the most iconic film characters of the you know late twentieth, you know, this latter half of the twentieth century. Everyone knows what Han Solo looks like, what he acts like. And Alden Ehrenreich doesn't look much like Han Solo or Harrison Ford. And I think that that's going to trip my words like Donald Glover. I think you yeah. look at him in that role like it's Lando. Yeah. yeah. It's the definition of a fool's errand. It's just like you can't, no one can successfully, you have to play Harrison Ford. Go do that. Like it's yeah. not even, it's half Han Solo and half Harrison Ford. Like he made that character. So it's just like, why? And I look, I'm putting money down on this. There is going to be some Casino Royale, Vesper Lynn shit with this Amelia Clark character. Yeah. I'm saying right. it now. That's, and I'm like, I, I don't need to know what made him whatever way. He, he doesn't seem that deep when we start a new house. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's not that deep. It's okay. Just find one of those random bounty hunters we don't care about. Well, no, that's not true. All the fandom cares about, all the bounty hunters. Extremely. All the fandom cares about 
Extreme. Is there a more overinflated fandom for a character than fucking Boba Fett, who may be the worst bounty hunter in the galaxy? <laughs> I mean, he's like actively bad at his job. He is cinematic fetch. I don't know how people made him happen. <laughs> I was calling him Boba Fett oh by the end. Like somebody said, was that a typo? It's a great typo. And I was like, no. No, that's not autocorrect. That's what I call the man. Like, I then... tried to like pitch the idea. Because like, they've been talking. Apparently, when Josh Trank was attached as a director of the franchise before Whoa. he got fired because of Fantastic, he was apparently going to be making a Boba Fett movie. And my pitch was make Mad Max Fury Road, but have Boba Fett be the total idiot and have him be played by Taika Waititi. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, Boba Fett is played by Temuera Morrison, who's a Maori actor from New Zealand. So, like. Right. Taika's right there, guys. He would rock that shit. Just let him do what we do in the spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> One of the, the things that that Alden has going for him is that no matter what he does, he cannot win. So That's he true. may as well just go whatever direction he wants to. Well, one of the big reports that was going around was, oh my god, he's had they've had to bring in an acting coach for him. And it's like, you know that acting coaches on sets are actually quite common. Like most of the great actors of our time have had someone on set, like just making sure that everything's okay, getting them in the zone. But if his job is basically to imitate Harrison Ford, wouldn't you have a coach as well? Yeah. So I I had a problem with that, but like if nothing else, I hope that it gets people to go watch Hail Caesar, <laughs> in which Alden Ehrenreich is very very funny. Oh my god, he's so good in that. <laughs> Go watch Hail Caesar, people. Oh, it's when Ray Fiennes just starts slapping the shit. <laughs> this just feels like the greatest bet hedged in the history of the world. They're planning it for, for it to be simultaneously a triumph and a debacle. And they're just willing to just, okay, what, whatever it falls out, you know, oh, we didn't yeah. think it was that great anyway. We it's, knew all the time it was to make as much money as they want, but it's still going to make a giant pile of money that Kathleen Kennedy can swim in. I mean, my prediction is I think the movie's going to do fine. I don't think it's going to make Last Jedi money or even Rogue One money, but I think it's going to do fine. And I think all they need it to do is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not part of the major, like, the, the, the major trilogy. It's not something that I think, I mean, if it is a huge hit, they will probably make Alden Ehrenreich sign like a five-film contract or something, but it's not. I don't think it's going to be a pressing matter for them in the way that something like all of their planned TV series is. So if the, if this isn't a massive hit, they can write this off as, this was a fun experiment, we got a reasonably fun movie out of it, Ron Howard can get his bonus, and we'll move on. Because... Eventually, fatigue is going to hit with this franchise. But then again, I said that about Marvel, and we're free of movies a year with these people. So, you know, mm-hmm. what do I know? Um, I mean, I'll go see it, but I, I don't know of a lot of people who are massively revved up for it, but I don't know anyone who was massively revved up for it when it was even announced. No, I've seen a lot more, God, do we need this? And I'm like, no, but do we need any of this? Do we, we need anything in life, really? Do we like, need anything? No. Some people are going to like this. Let them like things. I think Rogue One is a good parallel in that I really loved it. A lot of mm-hmm. people really hated it. It ultimately kind of doesn't matter because you can leave it out if you want to. It's not like the episodes where you have to. It's a sequelized story. 
you know, the quote unquote, a Star Wars story movies, you can kind of take them or leave them. And I would like Solo to be good just because you don't want this dead weight of like, oh, and here's the bad movie. Okay. You know, you'd, I'd like to be able to maybe someday do another rewatch and slot Solo in where it needs to go. Maybe before Rogue One. I'm not sure. No, you couldn't do that because of A New Hope. Anyway, you know, it would be fun to kind of work that in somehow. And I, I don't want it to be just a trash fire because that's depressing. If you like a series, you don't want any of it to be just bad. So... I mean, uh, I have the DCU for that. I don't need Star Wars for that. You know, that makes me mad because I didn't see the DCEU movies per se, but people talk about how bad they are. It makes me mad that people get on Reddit and the party line there is that the last... Jedi is the worst movie ever made and it is an atrocity committed to film and I'm like in a world with Suicide Squad I don't know <laughs> thank how you, you thank can say you. that in a world with Manos the Hands of Fate I don't know how you can say that Like, <laughs> stop pretending that your giant grievance is the worst right. thing that ever happened I am going to take your Manos Hand of Fate and I will submit Batman and Robin see I think Suicide Squad's worse because at least like Batman and Robin is utterly shameless about the fact that that movie was made to sell toys to kids. Like, that movie was made for Happy Meal toys. That's what that movie was for. Suicide Squad was made by someone who genuinely thought that they were making a dark and edgy artistic contribution to the genre. Like, that movie put Jared Leto in the role of the Joker. Okay, let's not pretend that that movie is somehow innocent of any crime. Someone said that Kylo Ren goes to Hot Topic and Jared Leto is the manager. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like Jared Little in Suicide Squad is like the assistant manager of local yeah. hot topic. They don't let him have the keys yet, but yeah. you know, he is allowed to tell teenagers that they have to leave the store. You know, he's not even the worst thing in Suicide Squad. I know we're going off topic, but I had to just get this off my chest because it's literally the worst movie I've ever seen. But when you are when Jared Little playing the Joker voicing him like old Greg in the Mighty Bush is not the worst thing in your movie, you have made a train wreck. <laughs> He's got damage on his forehead, just in case you didn't know. <gasps> it's real bad, you guys. I kind I love- of love the fact that DC are just like, you know what, we're just going to go make another Joker movie and pretend that Jared Leto has lost her phone number or something. <laughs> I've heard they want to recast maybe like Batman even. They just want to start with Wonder Woman and be like, no, everyone liked that one. Everything before that, it didn't happen. <laughs> just, just forget it. Except you have to keep Margot Robbie and Jason Momoa. Because Margot Robbie, I think, really loves the character and Jason Momoa because just look at him. I think they, they would keep them, yeah. On, they have actually just signed on a director called Kathy Yan to direct a Birds of Prey movie with Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she will be the first Asian-American woman to direct a superhero movie, I believe. Like, whether or not that goes forward is its own matter because DZ have this habit of announcing all of these projects and then not, like, doing anything with them. But I, th- I think that if they do end up finally making Flashpoint, I think what is going to happen is Ben Affleck is quietly going to go away and they're just going to bring in someone else's Batman and never mention the fact that he looks like a totally different person. Mm-hmm. And, then ba- and then Ben Affleck can go off and enjoy his back tattoo and his divorce on the beach. <laughs> just lead his sort of hello darkness, my old friend life. Because I have never seen a man look so depressed to be promoting a movie. <laughs> than Ben Affleck promoting Justice League and Batman and Robin. That was the most amazing thing, the Hello Darkness thing. I loved that so much. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) Bless, because Henry Cavill's trying so hard and he's just sort of like staring into space. It's like he has a moment where he actually realizes it actually hits him all at once what his life has become. Mm -hmm. 
And like I've I've felt that. I've had that. And now I have seen it happen in the space journey he went through. You know, I, I have some sympathy for Ben Affleck because I feel like he's always wanted to be the ultimate leading man. It wasn't enough for him to have his like renaissance and become this, you know, celebrated director whose film won Best Picture at the Oscars and for Hollywood to kind of welcome him back as a legitimate talent. He couldn't just be a director. He really wanted to be a movie star. And Batman seemed kind of like the safest bet to do that. And everyone thought, you know, oh, well, we, we, you know, dismissed Christian Bale when he took on the role and then look how wonderful he turned out to be. And then everyone saw Batman v Superman and it was just the sort of most depressing film. Mm -hmm. And then Ben Affleck was supposed to direct his own solo Batman movie. And then there was a story, oh, well, the script has been scrapped entirely and someone else is ready to get, oh, he's not actually directing it anymore. Oh, that film has been delayed and delayed and delayed. And he just, every rumor I have heard about that project is that he wants out. And I don't blame him. You would want to leave the flaming wreckage of the scene as well. At least, like, for whatever you can say about Henry Cavill as, as Superman, and I don't think he's a great Superman, but, you know, he at least seems to actively enjoy being Superman. Like, he doesn't seem to mind, like, hanging out with nerds at Comic-Con and getting his picture taken and having people sort of, like, yell, no, Clark. He got the Superman phone call playing World of Warcraft. I think he's at home with the nerds. He's at home with the nerds. Apparently, he is also dumb as paint. Oh. But he's really pretty. He is really pretty. I I have heard from someone who dated him briefly. (laughs) Was she 15 years old or however old his girlfriends all usually are? She was escalated. That he liked going to the gym and cuddling, and that was pretty. <laughs> like, no offense, but this is just sounding like this is fine. I mean, now that he oh, he doesn't have the mustache anymore, but his love for his mustache, <laughs> it was the purest love that we could ever know. I want to clarify: nobody go looking for like scandals of underage girlfriends. I'm exaggerating, but he was dating young girls but they weren't she was 19 yeah like nothing illegal was happening calm down everyone <laughs> it was just it was just like leo dicaprio kind of skeezy but it yeah. hasn't been he hasn't been a repeat offender on that front mm-hmm. which i don't think improves it but he's not like you know leo waiting until they turn 25 and then going to find a younger model yeah wow uh, i i hadn't kept up a whole lot with the dcs what's so sad is that I love how we're on Star Wars and I'm going off on like superhero reminiscences. Batman 1989 was a gigantic thing when I was a kid. And so that kind of was my Batman. Mm -hmm. And I really loved The Dark Knight. Like of those three movies, I specifically liked that one a lot. Never was really into the whole Marvel thing. So now it's kind of like I should be into the DC movies, but I'm completely not. And I'm not even that into... It's interesting. I'm not into superheroes all that much generally. (laughs) I like the origins. I like the Thor movies. I love Doctor Strange. I know there was an issue there, but just in terms of the actual movies, you know, I really liked that movie. We get to the Avengers stuff, and I'm like, there's too many people. (laughs) There's too much movie in the movie. I can't handle this. Whoa, Infinity Stones. No, no, no. And that's (laughs) that's as of, like, Doctor Strange. They're talking about Infinity Stones, and I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not why I'm here. So, which, which you can tell, I didn't grow up as a comics fan, because the crossover is kind of the big comics thing. Like, that is the point. I really want to see Black Panther, 
I was just in bed for four months, so I haven't gotten to see that yet. But for some reason, fantasy really appeals to me rather than sci-fi or superheroes per se. I really liked Thor. That's kind of the fantasy aspect of the superheroes. And maybe Doctor Strange kind of works into that. And I think that's why I really like Star Wars. And Star Trek's good, but it's more sci-fi and it's never really hooked me. And Star Wars has, like, the space wizards and the laser swords. I love swords, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got really into that. And I will say another thing about the prequels is that you can tell some of the choreography is really complex in the sword fights, but it all happens so fast and it's CGI-assisted. And you don't get the realness that you get, like, in The Last Jedi, where it's like, how are these people not dead? This is amazing. They are fighting for their lives. This is fantastic. And so that's another thing I think the newer movies do better. They have a little more realness to them, like the original trilogy did. But they've got the sophisticated cinematography that the prequels had. Mm -hmm. The best of both worlds. God, that last movie is so beautiful. It's just, Isn't it? Oh, it's so gorgeous. And I mean, The Force Awakens is too with that the dark, snowy forest and the, the lightsabers. But this last movie, I mean, Ryan Johnson really brought something, a certain style. He really brought that with all that red, that clear, clean red. It's just... And I go on about it in the, the live tweets, but... Wow. It's so good! It's so good. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that film works is just that you have that balance of a guy who knows how to work within the the narrow parameters of you know this is our property. You are basically like the plumber that we've brought here to, to fix this thing for a couple of hours. Do your best, do what you are good at, but remember this isn't yours. But also still being able to get enough of himself in there. And I think that, like, tying it back into what happened with DC, I think DC really wanted to be, like, this auteur-driven franchise, like, the the antithesis of what Marvel was at the time. Marvel's a bit more personality-driven now, but, you know, for a long time those films were made basically to order. But the thing is, once your films are completely defined by the personality of one person, and everyone else has to adhere to that, it's almost inevitable that it'll be kind of a mess. I mean, especially if that person is Zack Snyder, who I don't even hate. Like, I like some of his stuff, but the guy should never have been allowed to be the architect of an entire franchise in that way, especially when you have to appeal to the largest common denominator. Whereas I think Ryan Johnson, you know, for like the minority of very loud, annoying fans that think that he is somehow evil incarnate, but that film did what it needed to do, which was appeal to massive audiences. And I, I go through this in the tweets. I was able to kind of go through and go, you know, some of the balanced criticism, yeah, I get it. I kind of have an issue with this, the way this plot works out. And it's kind of depressing that they're the ones who caused all, I mean, I'm trying not to just get too into it. But I'm like, yeah, I kind of have a little bit of a problem with that. You know, fair enough. I, I get that. And I don't think it's like a four-star movie, but I think it's a movie with four-star scenes. The scenes that are good are so good. They're so good. And I think maybe The Force Awakens is a more consistent movie in terms of quality across the board. But you also had people complaining that it was too much of a redo of A New Hope. And I'm like, then Ryan Johnson goes completely off the board with some of this stuff. And they're like, ah, you, ah, well, how do you want it? What do you want? 
Which one do you want? Pick one. You can't have it both ways. <laughs> See, I actually, let's, uh, since we're going into The Last Jedi, uh, I did have a problem with it. Like, I understand that in, in realistically, there are a lot of plans don't work out and, you know, the, there's like, don't go anywhere. But then I felt like I was forced to sit through this entire other plot line of like casino heist and it was for nothing. And I'm like, but in a movie, it has to be for something. Like, in a movie, I need my heroes, like, the whole one-hour, like, plot line that takes up half the movie that they go on, it needs to be for a reason. I, I didn't like what they did with it. You know, let's send them on a, on a quest that actually has no point. I, I went into that. I think emotionally it has a point. I think emotionally you're getting the backstory of why that kid at the end is the hope of the resistance, representative of other people. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like Rose is telling you about what the First Order did to her people, her planet. You're seeing kind of what the callousness that they're up against, not just the First Order, but the greed and all of this. And the thing is, I've watched the deleted scenes where there is literally like twice as much material total. Like there's that much and another that much. And it seems more reasonable when you've seen what they've cut out. He talked about wanting to cross-cut between the stories less. So you get big chunks of Canto Bite, you get big chunks of Ray and Luke. And so it does feel like it goes on more than you might want it to. But at the same time, I, I get what he was doing with it. It does feel like there's two movies in the movie, two, two and a half movies. And they cram a lot in because they've only got three episodes they can do. And I keep going, man, this is a lot of movie. It's not that I dislike this part, but wow, I'm not sure this is all really supposed to be one movie. Huh, okay. The stuff with Phasma, I love Phasma, but it either feels like the movie wants to end there or that's a third movie reckoning and we went ahead and crammed it in. And so I'm just like, I like the scenes individually, but they hang together a little, it's a little crowded. Mm -hmm. That was the third time I had seen the movie because I got it on the digital release. Cause I was like, damn it. It's been three months. I'm going to watch this movie. So I watched it twice in the two weeks before the rewatch and watched it during the rewatch. So I had time. I knew what happened and I had time to kind of go, okay, why, why is this here? But I also said, with the prequels, I wanted to watch it through the eyes of people who loved it. With this movie, I wanted to watch it through the eyes of people who had criticisms of it. Valid criticisms that are not, Ryan Johnson destroyed my life. Like, <laughs> let's, I'm not dealing with that, but let's talk about, you know. And I, I do think some of the storytelling is pretty crowded. And while I like his idea, like his idea to crosscut less really works for sustained Ray and Luke stuff. But when you're like, Canto Bite, what's going on there? It's it's a disadvantage there to leave it so long with them. I mean, it's, like I said, I don't think it's a four-star movie as a whole, but the stuff that's good really, really is good. There's just some things. I remember reading, I don't know if it's true, that Poe actually was meant to die in the first movie, but they were like, no, nah, this character's great. Like, we want to keep him around. So then he miraculously, yeah. like, he never died in the crash. And in this movie, there's something I don't get because, like, you know, we have generals, like Leia's a general and Admiral Holdo, but then Poe is just like, does the resistance have a hierarchical structure or doesn't it? Because why is Poe 
in the meeting? Why is he on this bridge and like arguing with the admirals and the generals? Like, does he have what? Why does anybody get to argue with the admiral's order? How many people are in this resistance? He got demoted. So in theory, there's a hierarchy. I think that's kind of part of how how much he was overstepping that he's willing to go to General Organa and be like, Leia, you know, or he's willing to go up to Holdo and be like, hey, lady. And I'm like, you are so out of turn. What are you doing? I just, where did Kaylee go? Is she still on the call? Hi, listeners. At this point, we lost Kaylee for a few minutes, but it also happens to be just under the halfway point of the show. So if you wanted to take a break, as this is a very long episode, this would be a good time for it. And now, back to the podcast. All right, we were talking about Poe Dameron being a little shit to Holdo, who is awesome and whom we love. Yes. Purple lady of my heart. Uh, Admiral, my admiral. I loved her. Hmm. People get so angry about, and I'm talking more about the Reddit people, they get so angry about Holdo. It's like she's their mother-slash-ball-buster nightmare of, like, getting in the way of their doodly awesomeness. They get so angry. About Holdo. Even in my gaming guild, like, my random dudes are like, they're like, I hate Rose, I hate Holdo, they're so stupid, why are they there? Who even thinks Kylo Ren is hot? I don't even get it, he's not that built. (laughs) My dudes. Oh, my dudes. (laughs) Oh, dudes, my dudes. (laughs) So let's talk about, you know, our entire teenagehood, the Kylo and (laughs) Ray story. Just the shirtless scene is just amazing because it's just so awkward for both of them. But he's not going to like put a robe on or anything. I was kind of hoping he'd go like fill Zap Brown again and just put like a tiny towel over himself. <laughs> Do you have a cowl or something? Uh, <laughs> it's, is this just some no, snappy it, velour, you know? As the audience, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's not actually kind of my thing. I was much more when, you know, the cut scene where Luke's like, you would sell us out for a pair of pretty eyes. And I'm like, you know the score. All right. <laughs> you understand. Ryan Johnson understands this. He wrote that line and he has these big close-ups of his eyes and the lightsaber reflections and like he gets it. He understands yeah. this. Yep. Uh, it's just, it's so, that scene where she's like, I'm nobody and he's like, not to me and I'm like, every teenage girl ever just like fainted and she doesn't know why. I had this like double consciousness if that's even applicable to this situation where I was like, on one hand, that's so dreamy. On the other hand, that's the worst neg ever. Yeah. That's like the most awful thing I've ever heard. That's the most manipulative. That is like textbook emotional manipulation, but it's exactly what like 15 year old me would like fall in love over. I know. I can't help the way that I am. So I sat there and talked about this on Twitter because I was like, no, let's talk about why this worked on me in a weird, embarrassing way. We need to talk about this because like in real life, I'd be like, get the fuck out of my face. What, what are you even doing? Yeah. So it's like, why did this work on me fictionally? And let me try to talk about this in a way that is not about actual shipping. I am not pro work con or judging you for what you do or do not like please don't eat me like that was <laughs> i had high anxiety through this entire three-week process where i was like please don't send your emails it. to a matter of taste at- <laughs> <laughs> sorry so boys mean. <laughs> so mean what did we sorry boys so not like sorry I started squealing during Return of the Jedi at the Murder Bears, and Ian said, you know, I feel like you have discovered the true meaning of Sithmas today. 
<laughs> my bears. I love my bears. But but no, the Kylo Ren stuff was so interesting. And one of the reasons I spent so much time on Canto Bite and on Poe and Holdo was because I was like, I have some personal trope things going on over here, and I want to make sure I give the various aspects a fair amount of time. So, like, I was winging it through the entire live tweet, except for how I was kind of laying awake going, I know I'm going to have to talk about this stuff. I know I'm going to talk about this Kylo and Ray stuff, and I, I can see some interesting things I need to talk about, but also in a way that doesn't get me eaten, and that will be difficult. <laughs> but, like, that's what I would say. I have some notes on this. I, I usually... I usually was just winging it, although I did go back and reread the thread app, thread reader pages before that, and I would collect, like, here's what I said about Luke and whoever back then. So I did have notes in terms of you need to bring this back. I did do that. But, I mean, there were a lot of notes because they had some Anakin, Padme, compare, contrast things going on, and Finn and Rose and Poe were mostly fresh story, new blood kind of things. There was less to compare there. So I did kind of have notes. I had notes on the other parts. But, like, I the one thing I regret, and I want to say this to my uh, romance writer friends, I didn't have enough room to say you are nothing but not to me is a hook in, like, older romance and or classics. Because mm-hmm. Wuthering Heights isn't really a romance and I'm no. not talking about new. I'm not <laughs> talking about modern romance that knows better. Mm-hmm. I was listing like classics of the 1800s and Twilight, yeah. which references classics of the 1800s for to whatever effect. You know, I'm not saying it's as good, but like I'm I'm mentioning very old school stuff, and so I'm talking more about well-known classics and. I was delighted to find out that Ryan Johnson loves Phantom of the Opera because I totally nailed that without realizing it. And so I am, I am definitely not talking about modern romance writing. Although if you translate it to you are unappreciated, but I appreciate you, that's a completely valid and I'm sure, you know, well-used romance writing trope. Oh, yes, can confirm. <laughs> right. So I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying the ultimate neg is in modern romance writing per se. I'm not saying that, but I didn't have room to put and or classics. So, yeah. Here's the thing that's interesting. And again, in, in a don't eat us disclaimer, it, I'm going to talk about relationships, not necessarily in shipping, because ship whoever you want, write whatever fan fiction, but like just as relationship foils. The relationship, so you have Ray, Kylo, and Finn, all of whom are adults, but with a kind of immaturity. Ray, because she's like this orphan who had to raise herself, right? Finn, because he was part of this like child soldier army. He didn't even have a family. He was like raised as a number. Kylo, who definitely shows these like stunted emotional development tropes in, in like characteristics. So when you look at how Ray's with Finn, where remember that scene in um in A Force of Awakens where they're like so excited, your flying was great, the shooting was great, like that was them mm-hmm. bouncing up and down and like right, whereas with Kylo Ren, it's like it's it's the it's the emo side of teenagehood. Instead of yeah. being super excited, we're all like, Oh, <laughs> 
But he's also so condescending in a way that if he were more mature would be dominating. Mm-hmm. Like I can't I can't really give him full credit for being dominating. He's trying. But you know this whole <laughs> I can take whatever I want and you need a teacher. That teacher is me. As opposed to Finn being like, we are equals and we love the skills that we each bring. You know, I'm I'm so proud of you and you're proud of me. And it's very, you know, I don't, I might or might not re- mean romantic. I'm not talking about shipping. But it's very loving and nurturing and supportive. Mm-hmm. It's not about dominating or I need to teach you something. It's right. about we we learned together. We learned together and we support each other. I mean, the only person that Kylo really gets to dominate is Hawks, and that's because he is the galaxy's punching bag. Oh, oh Hawks. Oh, he, he pulled the total, the Hulk Thor punch with Hawks in the, you know, at crate, just, you know, straight into the wall, just kind of dribbles back down to the floor. <laughs> yeah. That guy had a bad day. Between that and the stunt double I'm for General Hawks. <laughs> General Hugs. By the way, I I checked the captions. It's a general hugs. <laughs> but the thing is, it's true that the Kylo, you know, let me be your teacher. But in some ways, Ray is also about like, no, I'm going to change him and I'm going to save him. So Kylo yeah. and Ray mutually is all about trying to dominate the, you know, trying to change the other person, uh, affect the other person, you know, do- somehow control or uh, dominate the other person. Which is why, like, th- that they are a conflict relationship to Ray and Finn's, like, mutually supportive one. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I can see that the hook with Ray and Kylo is this idea of, okay, number one, I linked that first Twilight post I had that kind of went into the, he's such a bad boy, I can change him! <laughs> trope that gets me so hard. But it's like they slowly become more and more equal. They start kind of sharing you know, their their deepest emotions and all of that. And by the end, they're standing back to back as equals. And so I get how it's like she and Finn start out that way. But with Kylo and Rey, you see them develop that and evolve towards that. And I can I can see how people might find that really appealing. I am ship neutral. I, I am not planning on, like, I, I don't need anything to happen specifically. I see the upside to any and all shit, really. I just want to see where the storytellers are going to take this. And then I might go, oh, I don't know. I like how they did that. Hmm. But like, I, I'm not judging you for shipping or not shipping any specific thing. And that was difficult to get across in the live tweeting process when I was obviously very into like, wow, there's some weird tropes going on here. Let's discuss that. That doesn't mean I... Do or do not advocate it. The thing is, I feel like it's not entirely on you because let, let's face it, the <laughs> culture we have now is definitely all about taking things personally. Mm-hmm. You know, in all capital letters. But that's just the way of shipping. It's always been like that. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm sort of fascinated and exhausted and sur- oddly surprised that we're kind of going through this. Like, Every generation gets its young, feral fandom that doesn't realize that their wonderful original thoughts and the feelings that only they have ever felt. Everyone has already done <laughs> Every, that. It's already happened. We have the fandom reports on all of this. Like, you could do your reading. It's so funny that the original trilogy, by making Leia Luke's sister, because they ran out of time and space and everything, kind of 
put a preemptive stop to that because now anybody who still shipped Lucalea kind of knew we belong in like the kink part and we're going to stay there. So, okay. So, okay. Because like sister, whereas as far as we know, Ray is still not a secret Skywalker. I can actually report from like 1980. Okay. <laughs> I not firsthand. I was like two. <laughs> A relative of mine, I will not name, was apparently a gigantic Luke and Leia shipper and was so pissed off after, was it Return of the Jedi where they actually revealed it? Like, so pissed off, my mom tells me. So pissed off. People in the tweets told me that there were Luke and Leia themed weddings. Like, Luke slash Leia was real. It was some real shit. Awkward. So I'm watching the original trilogy, and like, there's that moment where Leia tells Han that he's actually her brother, and like they're kissing, and Han is just kind of looking over, like, "Oh my god, what?" And then Wait, the siren what? I saw them. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that clip, and he's just like, "Oh my god," and like Leia telling Luke, well, I knew it. I, I really knew it in my heart the whole time. I'm like, George, Luke, this is not helping. This is not making it better. This is not helping anybody. <laughs> I figured it out when we were making out. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. <laughs> I, I knew a lot of, I remembered a lot of kind of iconic scenes, but I would forget them until they happened. I was like, oh, it's that part. So when they're on like Hoth and they've rescued Luke from the Wampa, and Leia's kind of trying to get back at Han, I think. And she suddenly kisses Luke. I was like, man, this is so awkward for... Oh. Oh, my. Oh, that's awkward. Oh, no. We're all <laughs> going to regret that. Oh, no. <laughs> But, like, that little... In A New Hope, that little swing over the chasm where she's kind of holding on to Luke and gives him a little cheek kiss. And I was like, we did not know at this point, did we? Mr. No. Lucas, we had not planned at this point because that's awkward now. That's so... Especially with that that old school movie poster with Luke and his chest and his abs. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. Awkward. So awkward. This is why it seemed more realistic. Okay, number one, hair buns are hereditary and we know this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Through at least two generations, we know this. It seemed likely that Ray might end up being Ben's cousin or whatever. Maybe Luke was secretly her father. Because they like to pull that shit on us. So we're like, okay, you know, I, I wasn't so attached to that theory that I was upset and we found out who Ray's parents are. I really liked where we ended up with that. So did I. I, was, mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, no, no, she's got the hair buns though. And Leia seems to like, when she finally hugs her, seems to kind of know, oh, oh my God, I think that's where they're going. And then they're totally not at all. And I liked it. But I was like, oh, well, that's different i wonder what jj abrams had in mind i hope he knows what to do with this now okay and that's one of the things that i found really irritating about like the last jedi haters with like i hate even saying haters because that just sounds so kind of childish but the people who are just so virulently against it is, were so enamored with the idea ray has to be someone do you know i mean she has to be a skywalker or a solo she has to be part of this you know it's all got to be connected but one one of the problems with the prequels is that he was training so hard to have everything connected to the point where c-3po is vader's childhood robot mm-hmm. but two why are we so obsessed with the idea that the entire star wars canon has to be built on this sort of strange like monarchy mm-hmm. where it's like in your blood you can't just be a hero you know they have to be someone special and if like, the idea is that 
Ray is special in spite of all of that. Ray is, you know, someone that the world has thrown shit at and told her that she's worthless. And it turns out, including her own family, didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Well, and why wouldn't fans find that appealing given that they too are not Skywalkers? Like, wouldn't this open this up for you as a fantasy? I, I don't... I think, I think a big part of it is just... It goes back to the idea that you're never going to win with fans with fans so if it wasn't that then they would be mad about something else so i i experienced that to a degree where it was very nice friendly people i really enjoyed talking to many many times we would sit there arguing over the exact connotation of a word i used or actually that's not how it happened or actually that's not the name of the planet or actually and I mean, guys, girls, any gender, it didn't matter. It wasn't just the archetypical nerd dude. It was everybody in Star Wars fandom had, you know, something to say about it. And apparently being a Star Wars fan is very much about nitpicking right down to the bone marrow. That's just part of it. And, like, Kay and I were talking about jokingly you know there's one desert planet there's one city planet there's one ice planet and i was like no no excuse you there is more than one desert planet okay because and i was like i've turned into one of them haven't i i'm officially a star i'm officially a star wars fan i just sat here and argued with you about desert planets and they said it was more of a mesa planet and so of course like five different people were like do you mean more of a mesa planet <laughs> You know, it was that kind of... What I really love about that Rey not being connected to the narrative is I think it makes... If if they go with it, think of what narrative it makes. The, we have, like, the prophecy and the chosen one. And the council says, no, Anakin's not trainable. And Qui-Gon says, no, I'll train him. So what are the consequences of that decision? The downfall of the entire Jedi Order. The sky, the, the idea of the chosen one, the, the chosenness of Anakin, and then maybe it's Luke or Leia, and then now, now it's Ben... It's destroyed the Jedi Order. It actually destroyed it twice because, like, Luke tried to rebel and then destroyed it again. So we have we can build this narrative where if Rey is just showing that and and Finn say like, no, it doesn't matter. You can be a hero. You don't have to be part of this like big prophecy. And you have the Skywalkers who were part of the big prophecy, and look what that did. Mm-hmm. I think to an extent, Luke is saying down with gatekeeping. Yeah. Which the meta for that <laughs> regarding Star Wars is um, not unnoticed. No, um, <laughs> Kylo is such an amazing distillation before maybe the rest of us even fully saw it come to fruition of like the entitled white dude as a villain. Like the young entitled white dude who's literally cosplaying Darth Vader and is hung up on all of that. And it's just. I'm not even sure to what degree it's intentional. It's just like intuiting the zeitgeist on some level. And it continues to work through this movie. And it's just down with gatekeeping. It's kind of incredible. Who? I saw it on your Twitter, but I don't remember. I don't think, I think maybe somebody tweeted it, you know, retweeted, was said that it, it was after the first movie. So it was before The Last Jedi, but it said Kylo Ren is the psychological profile of a school shooter. I think someone said that that was a little too intense to retweet, I felt, but it was accurate. But I was like, wow, that's intense. And I mean, it's it's more intense since because we've had a few. I don't mean to make this traumatic for anybody, but because of that scene where he did kill all of, you know, Luke's 
school and I guess converted some classmates into his. I mean, he was literally he. It was a school massacre. Yeah, he did that. So I was still just like, and that was even before we had the more recent, you know, tragedies. But I was like, wow, that's a really good point that I am not sure we're ready for right now. Yikes, you know. But it's true. And it, I, I don't know how they – I think these movies may be stronger in some respects because they are not just the work of one auteur. It's not just George Lucas. Mm-hmm. It's a little focus grouped to an extent, but it's multiple people, multiple directors under Kathleen Kennedy kind of workshopping this and saying, okay, what are we doing here? How do we keep this consistent? Even if we switch up directors and writers, you know, we need to have some kind of game plan. Where are we going with this? And so a lot of Anakin and Padme would not fly today. Just just the idea of him being that much younger and having a movie where they are reunited and she says, you know, wow, you're, you've grown up so much. And it's like, oh, God, no, 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 no. Don't grow up too fast now. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, 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 no. They, they would not have that today. They would have had a room where they sat around and went, no, I can't even believe you brought that up. No. That's ridiculous. That's weird, and people will be uncomfortable. So, you know, you know. I once, out of curiosity, this was years ago. So this was before any of the new movies, but after the, the prequel trilogy. I was in a bookstore, and I picked up uh, one of those, like, empty like notebook diary things but it was star wars themed and it had like anakin's thoughts through his like training as like after qui-gon Jinn took him on as a padawan so it was set set i guess quote unquote between the the first and second prequel and and i flipped through it out of curiosity and they had one where he's like like i hope padme would have been proud of me and i wonder what she's doing and all that it's just you know, I don't I don't even hate it in theory. I just I, I kind of reconciled the whole sand thing. I think it's ridiculous, but <laughs> I, I get the emotion there, which is I am so intimidated by this queen turned senator who's had all this life experience and she's so beautiful and she's so sophisticated. And I'm just this boy from the wrong side of the desert. And <laughs> I'm going to try to say something romantic and said is coarse and wrong. <laughs> you know, and it just kind of comes out. And I get that. And I understand that. And at the same time, the movie does not play it as, oh, honey, no, don't do that. I compared it to Twilight when Edward blurts out, movie only, blurts out, you can Google it. And it's like, <laughs> what? No. And she kind of looks at him like, loser? What was that? And, like, I, I think Sand goes over better if you play it as, I get where you're coming from. But that was not smooth. Instead, it's smooth and it works. And she kisses him, and I'm like, I can't believe that worked. Mm-hmm. Was, that, was that a fourth thing? Was that a mind trick? <laughs> Shout out to when they did the Star Wars con, and Hayden Christensen decided, like the first time ever, he was going to do a convention. Someone asked, "Will you sign my jar of sand?" Oh, so someone has a jar of sand signed by Hayden Christensen, and I believe they got a selfie with it too. So, God like, bless. good on you, Hayden Christensen. Poor Hayden Christensen. Like, there was an actor who did not make it out. Of no. And he was so excited to be Darth Vader in the end. Like, they weren't even going to let him do the, the suit. And he was like, come on, I'm Darth Vader. you got to let me do the suit. Don't let me do it. Well, that's one of the problems with 
George Lucas really not giving a shit about the humans in these movies. You know, someone like Jake Lloyd in Phantom Menace, that is a young actor who needed a guiding hand. Mm-hmm. And I don't think George Lucas was all that interested in it. It didn't seem to understand these movies inspire such incredibly, well, to put it mildly, passionate rhetoric. You're going to put this kid in the fire lane. And they did. And he has suffered. You know, he's living with very difficult um, mental health issues right now and other things and has talked openly about how that movie was, you know, really damaged his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if those films came out now with social media. Like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. No, God, no. Okay. So that's one of the things that I like. Like Ryan Johnson has a hand on how to direct actors. I think J.J. Abrams does as well. But, you know, as long as it doesn't get in the way the lens flare, it's fine. But, you know, Ryan Johnson seemed to actually understand things like giving an actor a motivation. So, like, little moments with uh, Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose. Like I feel like he actually sat down and had a number of conversations with her about this character. And how to convey all of those things. Or just everything Laura Dern's doing. Off. She wouldn't need direction. She's Laura Dern. She's fine. And I mean, I I think... I feel like he must have sat down with Daisy really, Ridley. Because she does some beautiful work. And mm-hmm. on the extras, you see him kind of talking back and forth with Carrie Fisher. And he's not telling her what to do. But she's kind of intuiting that they need to discuss it. And she's like, well, how should I say Finn? 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 You know, and they kind of work this out. And you can tell that he talks this out with people. And he lets them act. And he doesn't edit it mid-sentence. So, but at the same time, there's a story I really like about how J.J. Abrams did the directing. And I think he does work well with actors. But there is a story that Oscar Isaac was telling. Sitting next to Adam Driver, who looks extremely embarrassed by this. And he said, yeah, we're filming that interrogation scene. And he's been working really hard on this Kylo Ren voice. And so we do it, and J.J. kind of says, uh, try something different. And he's like, what? What do you mean, different? You know, I worked all night on this. So he's, like, pacing around, and Oscar Isaac is telling the story. And he's like, yeah, Adam's pacing back and forth going, oh, God, oh, God, what do I do? What do I do? And thanks, J.J., you know, like, do something different. (laughs) This is the thing. He's like, the new movie's Darth Vader. This is going to be iconic. You can't just be like, come up with something else. You know, we have to work on this. I really would love to know what that original voice sounded like. Mm-hmm. I mean, apparently it was different enough they had to cook something up on, on site. But, you know, I, I love stories about actors and directors working with them and the kinds of things they come up with together, the kind of things that come up with actors improving together. I love stories like that, and I love director commentaries. And I get a little, a little itchy when we start talking too much about the lenses and I'm sure for film students, that's amazing. I shouldn't complain. But I love stories about collaborative acting because as a writer, in terms of like novels rather than screenplays, you're out there on your own. You don't have people you can collaborate with like that. And so it's really interesting to kind of go, what kind of things do I need to ask myself as a single writer that these actors and directors get to do amongst themselves? And I find that really fascinating. The extras are also really great for hearing a little bit here and there about Ryan Johnson's writing process and how he took these characters and he kind of watched The Force Awakens and he goes, okay, what do I know about these characters after that movie? What do I know? What do they want? And what is the most difficult thing they could face in trying to get that? And I think that's why the storyline stings so much 
with Rose and Finn and Poe because he gave them such difficulties to overcome that it was so depressing the way it worked out that they are responsible for this loss of life. Like that just really, you know, and if that's the story you want to tell, that's fine, but it hurts. Mm -hmm. Oh, it hurts. And I kind of hate that you did that to me. I'm not saying it's not a valid story to tell, but man, did I not like that. And I mean, I would watch the movie again. Clearly I have, but I thought that was an interesting storytelling process. And he also said, you see him in a documentary saying, the beginning's not tracking. It originally started with a close-up of, of Finn. You think his, you know, healing tube or whatever it is, it looks like a planet at first. And then you come down and you realize it's a close-up of, of him in the infirmary. And he says, you don't get a sense of what the actual stakes are for the entire resistance. This isn't tracking. The beginning's not good. I'm scared. And that made me feel a lot better as a writer, that somebody would just be like, I'm scared. This is scary. I don't know what to do. And he eventually worked it out, and the beginning works a lot better. But as a writer, some of this stuff is really, really interesting to kind of watch and think about. So it's a lot better than hearing about George Lucas's writing process, which is, which was, oh, God, no, I don't want to write. Please don't make me write this. Please, anything with this. Okay, fine. We're like two weeks off from shooting. I'll throw something on paper and let, let's just cameras roll. See, yeah. and if he had talked to the actors and said, you know, why don't you collaborate with me? Why don't you maybe improv a little something? You know, you and Padme hanging out in this field, having a picnic. You know, what, what would you say if you were trying to get a girl to like you? I promise you Hayden Christensen wouldn't have come up with sand. Yeah. I promise you something else. But that would have involved George Lucas talking to, you know, people. It's just so interesting when you think about, so you have the original trilogy where, I mean, Harrison Ford was older and he he was going to be fine. And Carrie Fisher, you know, there's... You know the screenshots going around of the script where she essentially script doctored those scripts. Yeah. You know, and the improvised "I love you, I know," and you know, Mark Hamill. He kind of, I think, he took a while because, yeah, those movies bur- probably burnt his career. But in the end, I think he's okay with where he is now. I, I think Mark Hamill is living his absolute best life. Right. And then you look to the prequels where I think it killed Hayden Christensen's career, as we said, like Jake Lloyd is not like the people who had acting careers, you know, that you Natalie Portman, you Liam Neeson, like they they made it out. But the people for whom this was the big break. They, uh, what about Ahmed Best? And like we, everybody's so scornful of Jar Jar Banks, but he really like I it, there's recently it was like in the news, some yeah. of the Twitter exchanges where he feels hurt that people think of Andy Serkis as like the pioneer of motion capture. He, he worked hard on Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar. He <laughs> believes in him and doesn't think he's a racist, you know, whatever. And that made me kind of rethink, hmm, you know, that wasn't what he thinks it is and that's not what he intended. And that's another reason I didn't want to litigate Phantom Menace again. I just was like, because there's also Watto and there's also the Neomordians. And I just was like, I, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with these issues as a white person, <laughs> as a, you know, if someone else better equipped to deal with this wants to discuss the racism in Star Wars, and I'm sure you can find more than that, just the nature of art, I'm sure you can 
someone other than me needs to take this on in a format that's not just tweeting. You know, mm-hmm. like, okay, someone else can. And I, I tried to point things out now and then, like, the appropriation with the costumes and, you know, a couple of things. And I just was like, I, I would like it to, I would like it to be noted. I would also like to note that I'm not equipped to deal with it, but it's there. Yeah. So we have that in the prequels and they, they did bury those people. And the, the sequels, I think the young actors in the sequels are doing a lot better, partially because it's no longer George Lucas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I, I now, like looking back on everything, I kind of just feel so bad <laughs> for the actors. <laughs> and the, it was such a huge thing. This was probably going to be there. Like, you get to play Darth Vader. This is your huge break. And I mean, how excited was you and McGregor to get to have a lightsaber? And he right? got out of this okay. But you know, it had to have been the same for Hayden Christensen. And yeah. I'm, Probably Jake Lloyd was old enough. I don't know. I mean, this was probably a big thing for them. Everyone who got to be in those prequels was so, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, so excited about it. And then it just turns into this complete nightmare that upends your life. And I, I feel bad. I do. And I'm, I remember people used to say, Natalie Portman's such a terrible actress because that's what they had seen her in mm-hmm. for a few years until she clawed her way back and, you know, got an oscar and it was like she needed that oscar as kind of proof official proof on the books i mean she had the professional before that and like god in the professional she learned to stand up for herself you know she learned to be the person who goes to luke Besson and says 12 year old girls do not want to have sex with 40 year old men that is not a thing that happens i saw that part of the script (sighs) i didn't know she was the one who put the kibosh on that i thought maybe goodness oh thank you natalie Portman. Um, how depressing that she had to be the one to do yeah. it. Yeah. I want to talk about, like, quote unquote, male genius bullshit, yeah. which is its own sandbox. So, no, I don't like sand, so we'll not get into that. Yeah. <laughs> it's coarse and rough. You know, so much of what is tied up in Star Wars and Star Wars fandom is is the Leia deification. And not even necessarily the character of Leia, but, like, Leia in the bikini. Mm-hmm. Leia I mean- as the sex icon. I made sure to call her Hut Slayer Leia instead of Bikini Leia. Like, I just mm-hmm. went out of my way to just not even mention the Bikini at all. Just just to pay respect to Carrie Fisher, we will just pretend that it's not the focus of the scene here. Right. It kind of is, but we will just talk about how that's not what's going on. Do you think, and I'm trying to think, of the new movies, of these sequels, I think a lot of the younger actors for him, it's a breakdown, like, are doing well with it, but if there's any actor here who's quote-unquote in danger of this being a negative impact, is that Adam Driver? No, because Adam Driver's already an (laughs) award-winning actor, he's already done TV, he's already like, he's an indie darling, he's probably, maybe after this he may not want to do a lot of blockbuster stuff, I don't think that's his bag. Daisy Ridley was dealing with some stuff Hmm. on Instagram. She was dealing with some pushback on Instagram. I think for for saying um, something pro LGBTQ, she got some pushback for that. She might be the one who's both the biggest role and the one most vulnerable to people being shitty. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's so. But I think even I think you've also seen these actors have had to learn from the mistakes of the past, so that you see them 
trying to establish themselves in different ways. So someone like John Boyega is going to do movies with Catherine Bigelow. He is not only in the Pacific Rim sequel, he's producing it. You know, he is forcing a new path for himself, which is also harder because he is a young black actor. Like, Mm -hmm. that Uh is making it more difficult. Oscar Isaac will be fine because he was already, like, an auteur darling and has all of these, you know, incredible roles under his belt. Him getting to be this kind of suave leading man obviously shows another side to him. So if he wanted to go do those kind of movies, like, you can just point to Poe and that will probably help. But I don't think that there are any of the younger cast have the trouble that someone like Hayden Christensen or... Jake Lloyd did. It may be Kelly Marie Tran, but even then, we've only seen her in this one movie, and she really we haven't seen her much in anything else. But she's so wildly enthusiastic about that franchise that, you know, I think that helps. She doesn't seem defeated. But I mm-hmm. think Cleo has a point about Daisy Ridley, because I remember Mark Hamill talking about how he'll walk into, you know, additions afterward and be like, yeah, but people... Like, you're Luke, and people are just going to see Luke. Like, is Daisy going to run into the problem where she walks into auditions and they're like, we don't need Star Wars in this movie? And all I can think of is Star Wars when I. Look She's at already in a couple other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't she, she in Murder in the Orient Express? Yeah, yeah. she's Murder in the Orient Express. But that's a smaller. Yeah. But it still counts in her corner. It still I mean. counts, and it, she has Brana on her side. And if nothing, Brana's not going to stop making movies. Brana can keep her in his stable of actors. <laughs> I love that, just like Ken's crew. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even then, like, I think more now, like, remember, Star Wars was kind of the first film to really help break through this notion of, like, the summer blockbuster. Mm-hmm. So actors coming out of that were getting pigeonholed in that aspect. Whereas now blockbuster filmmaking isn't just kind of a defining part of Hollywood. It's oh, almost an expected oh much you have to... It's the entire economy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but, but it's, I'm it's just... A, and not you have to have an air belt, and also, like, people need that money. So, like, I don't think that we necessarily have A-listers in the way that we used to. Like, it doesn't matter whose name is above the poster so much as the intellectual property. But it certainly doesn't hurt if you're making a small movie, like, they're making a movie about Ophelia, the character from Hamlet. Exactly. That works in her favor, you know. That probably brings in a bit more money for the funding, for the producers, maybe for interested distributors. Right, and that you know, has Naomi another... Watts and Clive Owens and Tom Felton as Laertes. I'm down for this. I like, that would probably help her, and you know. But nowadays, there's also more options in terms of you know you can you know more actors produce their own stuff now. One of the things that really got Natalie Portman going post Padme was that she was willing to sink her own money into projects, and she's still doing that stuff now. But you know, John Boyega producing a Pacific Rim movie, it didn't do a really big deal here, but it did pretty well in China. So he's already trying to establish himself as a bona fide movie star internationally. You know, he's he's building on Finn, whereas I think other actors like someone like Oscar Isaac Poe is just another role one that he's obviously very passionate about and he's Oscar Isaac he's very adorable but you know like he's just showing another side of what he can do yeah I think also Adam Driver who's who's done a lot of movies the last few years a lot of indie movies like he's around and he's got other things he's doing and yeah this is where he's well I mean and he had girls for so many years so I I think these people will always be associated with these characters but it's basically the more you work 
and the more you worked before you got here, because like like you're saying about having established careers, both you and McGregor and Natalie Portman, and obviously Liam Neeson, that wasn't going to touch him no matter what happened. Mm-hmm. If you've already got an established career where even if people aren't sure of your name, they've seen you before, then yeah, you'll be fine. I think the biggest risk was for Daisy and to a lesser extent, John, maybe. Or, I mean, maybe because it is kind of harder to break through if you're not white, maybe it was kind of an equal risk there. Mm-hmm. And you do want to get into producing because then you get to control that kind of thing and you, you're you more in the driver's seat rather than waiting for people to say, okay, well, now maybe we can think of a part for you. No, you make your own parts. But I, I think just like the backlash against women also is really potentially i'm so glad daisy ridley isn't on twitter oh man please never get on twitter i love you please never ever save yourself mm-hmm. save yourself delete please. your account i'm sure ryan johnson was like do not get on there mm-hmm. do not ever the saddest thing is that like i think on the commentary i i read a list of highlights even though i haven't listened to it yet he says i'm recording this before the movie has hit theater so i don't know how people have reacted yet and it's like oh honey oh no i i can't go back and tell you what's about to happen nor do i really want to because wow this is and leave ryan's girlfriend alone you assholes really oh yeah keep keep karina longworth out of this because she's awesome and you you know you don't deserve her now, I have seen people kind of go at John Boyega a little bit on Twitter, and he always just kind of bats it away very in a very classy kind of way. So, And Mark Hamill has tons of fun with people. I don't know if he just ignores the assholes or just doesn't care. Or He looks at the he, assholes he's as two toys. I mean, he's weathered the storm. Like, he has been through this, and he's also the fucking Joker, you know? like <laughs> Be mean to the Joker. What is... <laughs> Like, he doesn't need that, but he can deal with it. I mean, there's almost a small part of me that kind of wishes Harrison Ford had Twitter for, like, 24 hours. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's on Twitter. He is. And he he does not have it. He is not having him with it. And bye. I mean, he's he's fun. But there's someone else who's been in the industry for a long time. Like, yeah. he's in so many franchises. He's one of the most successful actors, just in terms of the money his movies has made. Um, the amount of times a day he must get asked to do the Ezekiel speech from Pulp Fiction. Like, this guy knows how to deal with fans. He was the kind of actor that people were excited for him to be in Star Wars. So, like, you, we already knew who he was, and it was exciting to get to see him do something like that, as opposed to, we don't know who he is, and we're excited because he was in Star Wars later, you know. I mean, Samuel L., how could you not be, like, delighted by that? He is my favorite reaction ever to someone not winning an Oscar. <laughs> if you've ever seen the clip of them, like, and the, and the Oscar goes to and it goes to Martin Lando, you can actually see him go, "Oh shit!" Who oh. <laughs> the best? <laughs> was he up against him, or was it somebody else? No, it was uh, he was up against him for Pulp Fiction, and then Martin Lando won for Edward. Oh, that's a tough one. I wouldn't take it away from him, but ouch, yeah. Because he was asked about it and he says, do you regret it? And I went, no, I really wanted to win. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's understandable. Like, why are right. we even there if we don't care about winning? 
Exactly. You're supposed to pretend that you don't want to win. It's like, oh, I'm just so honoured to be amongst my fellow nominees. And really, it's about the craft. And I'm actually not that interested in winning, which is why I'm attending every party and going on every Hollywood Reporter roundtable and kissing every ass in this room. Well, it can be true. I mean, okay, ass kissing aside, it can be true that it's just an honour to be nominated, but also that you really want it. Like, what, what, what's it worth if you don't actually want it? So, like, I, I get that on, you know, both levels. I understand that, but... I wish more people were just kind of open about the fact that they, if they're in the running for an Oscar or if they're camping, that they just really want to win it. And instead of trying to spin it as this kind of false humility, because I remember when Steve Carell was campaigning for Foxcatcher and he did get nominated and he did just actually you know, actively say, I would love to win. It may not happen, but if I can do anything to encourage votes in my favour, I'll go out and do it. I was like, good for you. Why don't everyone just say that? I would much rather we have that than this kind of fake graciousness that surrounds it, this idea we're all supposed to pretend that they're not playing a game. I mean, I would rather they're not be campaigning, but you have to be fair. And it's like, well, if anyone campaigns, then it's open season. Like, either you ban it entirely or it's fair for... And I understand to an extent you have to have it or tiny lesser-known movies would never get any chances at all. So I understand why it's there. So it's like, well, if it's there, then let's admit that's what we're doing. I know this is kind of off-topic. I actually think that we're going to see, especially in the post-Weinstein world, I think you're going to see campaigning get a lot quieter, more muted, certainly much less vicious. And I think that you saw that this year, actually. I mean... Usually every year you hear about the film that's getting all the smears against it or the battles or the bitching. And I didn't hear about any of that this year. I think people were so consciously trying to avoid being compared to the Weinstein company that they just didn't bother. Like all of the filmmakers seem to actively like hanging out with each other. Like, oh, look, there's Jordan Peele with Greta Gerwig and Guillermo del Toro. And they all seem to actually be liking this process. And I kind of enjoyed that. Because, I mean, obviously there's a lot less for me to write about as a pop culture hot takes merchant if they're not bitching at each other. But, I mean, if that's the direction they want to go with in the future, I'm I'm much more in favour of it. Because, I mean, if any of you are familiar with the shit that Weinstein pulled for the past 15 to 20 years, it was, you know, horrific sometimes. Well, and it was cruel and it was, you know, backbiting and rumour-mongering about various things that didn't have anything to do with the acting or the movies or, you know, trying to drum up rumors or I can't remember the specifics, but I just remember it was vicious and ugly. Yeah. The most famous one that he was involved with was uh, a beautiful mind, which is a terrible film, right? Shouldn't have won best picture, a terrible (laughs) film, but like that he basically tried to spread the story that John Nash, the mathematician who the film was based on, was, I believe, both anti-Semitic and homophobic. And that was this the, the campaign instead of our film is better. Uh, but that was one of the more famous ones. But my like the tactic I was always hugely amused by was that he um would send he would host screener parties at the official Academy retirement home. <laughs> Because the average voter is about 69 years old and they actually have their own specific retirement home. So he would just like turn up with a video and put it on and like, hey, you should vote for my movie. You didn't even have to leave the house now. Back to Star Wars. We did want before... <laughs> you didn't even want to go for a fun segue there? Like, you could have figured out something. <laughs> you, you... <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to say it. I think Mark Hamill deserved an Oscar nomination for Last Jedi. And I wrote about this for a website yeah. and I wanted him to get nominated. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but he is so fucking good in that movie. 
really so is. good. I, I understand, and I forget who actually won. I understand that he might not have been the one to win, but he deserves some kind of recognition for that because he's so good. Hmm. And so much crap for that characterization, but it's like I like the fact that he was like a cranky space hermit who made the kind of jokes <clears throat> that you would only make if you'd spent 20 years on an island talking to porks. I liked that. <laughs> exile is traditional, okay? Exactly. Failure exile. This is what Jedi we're... wouldn't do that. Oh, really? <laughs> really? really? I, I did love the part where, where he, Yoda turns and goes, I'm going to burn the sacred text. He goes, Oh, really? Really? And he just lightning strikes and then he does like the leg kicks in the air when he's laughing. I posted the Elmo Flames GIF <laughs> at that point in the tweeting. You know, the Louise Belcher just kind of, ah, the flames burn. I just but love the acknowledgement of the history that we're not in there. The books have not been burned. Ray yeah. has them. They're in the the Falcon drawer. Why is it Falcon and not Falcon? I don't. That seems very strange to me. That we all just have to call it the Millennium Falcon for some reason. Do we know? I don't know why, because it's not like people say yes. Han the same way twice in a row. I heard Lucas. It's his fault. Yeah. Cleo. Tell me about the murder bears that live in your phone. Murder bears, murder bears. I'm so I was so happy to watch Return of the Jedi because it's it's backwards to say the sounds in the game are in the movie. The sounds in the movie are in the game. The little battle cries of like yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, they're all in there and it's so great. And the little trumpet sounds. I didn't realize they had actual trumpets because it's in the game too. And it's so exciting. I play this mobile game called Galaxy of Heroes and it's by EA who famously was talking about Battlefront 2 I think which is a console game and they got on Reddit and apparently they had relocked Darth Vader as a character or something and they had said you know but re-earning him that's you know it's a pride it's for your sense of pride and achievement and it was like one of the most downvoted Reddit comments it, in history. It was the most downvoted comment. The, it was like 20,000 something downvotes and like 19 guildings just so that people could send them evil messages. Like just to make sure they got to send the messages they would they would guild it. So EA is, is kind of controversial but in terms of the mobile game I, I have talked to people who have spent a lot of money on it. You can sink a lot of money on it if you want to. I don't <laughs> like you can you move a little more slowly I've been playing it for two years it is what you make it so it's a collect the characters game and then you form little squads to fight other squads sometimes it's a PvE player versus environment thing and sometimes it's PvP player versus player in the arena and there's all these different ways you can fight and you collect shards for the characters and once you have 40 shards or 100 shards or whatever, you unlock the characters. So I am currently working on Wicket. I have to get another 100 shards to get him up to a full 7 stars. He's pretty, he's pretty good at 5 stars. He has spears. He has multiple spears. Rain down from the sky. I don't know where they come from. And he has his little battle cries. And So I'm watching Return of the Jedi and I'm like, there's Chirpa! There's the Ewok Elder! Oh my god! What do you mean? Paplu is the one who steals the speeder. Oh my god, this is huge! (laughs) So I'm watching these movies half through the lens of like, oh, that asshole, I still have seven shards to get for him. Oh, (laughs) fears! 
<laughs> you know? And I'm like, red dudes! Those are the Imperial Guards. My red dudes! <laughs> they, they put out a fifth... They announced a fifth Han Solo character that's going to be with the Solo movie. And I was like, five fucking Han Solos? <laughs> that's a whole squad. <laughs> I can't get one Padme over here. I can't get one Praetorian Guard red dude from Last Jedi. I can't get shit. What is this? So... It's it's complicated, and I won't go into all of the the farming and the grinding. You know, you can only buy it with crystals, or you can only buy it this way. But they have finally made Rose and Holdo easily available now. So now I have to chip away at them. And Holdo is the only healer in the entire Resistance synergy. And I have two Kylos, and they're amazing. And you know, <laughs> as as a friend of mine put it, he has a weaponized tantrum. The original one. He takes his lightsaber and goes, wham, bam, 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 and just like slashes at an entire squad. It's amazing. And then he'll hit like one person just like super hard. And so that's his like two tantrum skills. The newer one doesn't have a mask, but his special ability is to twirl. And so he like <laughs> spins around and hits you with the saber. And if that character is stunned, he hits twice as hard. You know? <laughs> so that's like strategy to make sure. And he has a really good stun. And the other Kylo has a really good stun. So you're like trying to, you know, there's a phasma and there's all this stuff. Ask ask questions or I will ramble endlessly. About... I, I have enjoyed this enormously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bounty hunters are the big thing right now. They decided to do a rework. And my Boba Fett, like, I don't give a shit about Boba Fett in the movies, but he's got good skills, so he's one of my strongest characters. He's my PvP leader, and he was for a while. He makes everybody else stronger. I don't know why. So, and he has this little wrist cannon, and if he hits you with the wrist cannon, you're dead. You can't revive. You're gone for that battle. So that's, that's a big strategy thing. So all the other bounty hunters are garbage. They're terrible. So they've reworked them, and now Zam Weasel, who's the purple assassin in Attack of the Clones, I'm all about her. So they're going to make her better later, but right now we have Greedo, who suddenly isn't garbage anymore. They reworked him. And then they were like, coming soon, the long-awaited Bosk. I'm like, what the fuck is a Bosk? What's a Bosk? <laughs> I just watched these movies. What's a Bosk? I don't know. And it was like, oh, it's that lizard dude who was there for three seconds. Okay, the long-awaited Bosk. Got it. So that's an event they're going to have to unlock him on May the 4th, which, as you know, is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. And uh, who are the Dengar? I have no idea who that is. He's apparently a good bounty hunter. I haven't gotten him fully geared up yet. Uh, who's the other bounty hunter? I really want Aura Singh, who's the one you see in Phantom Menace with, like, powder white skin and like a red it's not a mohawk it's like a red ponytail or something mm -hmm. during the pod racing scene you see mm -hmm. her for like 20 seconds that's my favorite kind of i'm such a hypocrite who's boss <laughs> but i love the one who was there for 20 seconds yeah mm -hmm. i just want more girls in this game that's what i want maybe zam and aura can be dating i don't know we'll figure something out so is there a leia in the game oh there's at least two uh there's hoth leia she was very... I don't have her fully unlocked yet. You can only get her through territory battle games with your guild. She's very hard to get. There is a 
original Princess Leia, you get her pretty early on. She shoots a lot. She shoots like three times in a row, and that builds her health back up. She's pretty good. She's a little squishy. She dies easily. Doesn't have a lot of health. You have to work on that. So you have to look at all these characters, and you have to go, okay, what's their weakness and what's their strength? This one, Qui-Gon dies super, super easily, which, fair enough, you know? So you kind of either have to compensate for that and make sure you give him more health, or you go, fuck it. I'm going to give him lots of critical damage and just either let him die quickly or make everybody else defend him. So, you know, you... I'm so, this is the nerdiest hobby I have, working on mobile game strategy. I am all about mobile game strategy. I have never seen the Rebels show, but I am all about the Phoenix Squad with Sabine and Hera and Ezra, and I don't even know what they do in the show. They are like the best synergy. They are so hard to get past. So, Chopper. What's Chopper? I don't know. I've heard he's a murderous robot. I don't know. So I'm playing this through the eyes of like, I have no idea who these people are, but they have got great defense. What about the droid from Rogue One? The one that Alan Tudyk was. It was amazing. He was the snarky one. Okay. He and Cassian fight together. Like they have a dual skill where it's like if Cassian hits somebody, Kay goes and hits them too. And uh, that's a particular ability. That's a pretty good synergy. Bays and Chirrut, they are a nightmare. They are the biggest nightmare. They are like hell on earth to fight. I need to get them geared up so much more because you can't get past them. Like, Bays taunts and always hits you back and has a ton of health. And every time he gets like a teensy bit down, Chirrut heals him. It's like, motherfucker, you can't get past them. And people will put them in squads with other big rebels, like the really special Luke, the special commander Luke with the lightsaber. And you can't, they're a nightmare in arena. You can't get past them. And it's, it's so fitting. And, you know, Bay's like, shoots the fuck out of everybody. It's so great. Basically, after um, Rogue One came out, the fan art and like Onion Post or whatever, or like the Basin Church, like that was my favorite thing ever that happened in that fandom. Oh man. It was the best. I love the Onion headline post, but I don't know that I've seen them for Bays and Chirrut specifically. It's like Tumblr textbooks in in that. Right, yeah. I love the Tumblr textbooks type stuff. (laughs) My favorite Onion headline was, and at that time we thought Ray might be a Skywalker, so she was in there too. But it was like little pictures of all the Skywalkers, including, you know, Luke, Leia, Kylo, maybe even Han. And at the bottom it said, Area family makes a goddamn ordeal out of everything. Turns everything into a goddamn ordeal. Yeah. So I, I love that stuff so much. I follow um, a Twitter account that reposts a lot of like text and picture memes that are Tumblr text. That's really great. Prequel memes on Reddit. I have a Twitter bot that follows that. That's another fun place to look for stuff. Anytime people start mentioning, like they'll just like it's copy pasta. They'll just drop in have you heard the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Like I just cry <laughs> laughing every time that shows up for like no reason. I can't even explain why. Just I just cry laughing. So uh, the fandom is so much fun when it's not angry. So, <laughs> you know there's that. There's a sequel memes Reddit that I 
haven't necessarily spent that much time in. I did mention this is where the whole Ben Swolo meme came from. <laughs> to come from there. Yeah, it, it, I saw it happen. It, it did come from there. Uh, Area fandom makes goddamn ordeal out of everything. <laughs> yeah, and they were surprisingly supportive of the whole... They were really into his gains. Like, they, they saw this as a good thing rather than, like, guys in my guild, bless them, who were like, he's not even hot. Why do girls like him? Oh, yeah. Like, please, sample my bitter grapes. You see them over here. So, <laughs> my sour grapes, please have some. But no, it's, it's really interesting to watch how people react to the various characters and who they like. And even people who ended up liking Holdo saying, yeah, at first I thought Poe was in the right. And I didn't like her until I realized where they were going with it. So it's really interesting who people you know, identify with the most. We, we, we talked about it a little way years ago when we had a Sherlock Holmes episode. And we said, like, a lot of people are on BBC Holmes' side when you think about it. He's trampling through crime scenes and contaminating evidence and none of this is ever going to... Like, every one of these cases is going to get thrown out at court and all of these criminals are going to go free because of him. Because he's not interested in convictions. He's only interested in, like, who did it. So it's kind of the same here where because Poe is your point of view into the story right like he's he's the hero of the story you're automatically like of course he's right and i'm like why this is an admiral some random soldier in the resistance is running up to her to be like i am not privy to any of your plans but i demand that you do like what no what was funny was i was watching that and even having been spoiled for a few things i was watching to see what cues the movie the, the filmmaking and the storytelling was trying to give me to tell me like these are certain beats where you're like oh they're telling us that the hero is right and eventually the antagonist <laughs> is going to go wow I sure am glad that you spoiled that plan for us you were right the whole time so I kept kind of looking for that and being like he's really kind of hot headed and rude though well but they're telling us that Holdo's kind of mysterious wait this isn't, they're not telling me that she's terrible. Well, where are we going with this then? Because you don't expect a movie to say the arc for these, you know, three or four characters is you did your best and it killed everybody. Like you don't expect that. So I keep going, what's the mixed signal I'm getting here? What's like when Holdo gets her blaster and like manages to fight back, it didn't come off as like an evil villain moment. And I'm like, wait, well, then what's happening here? And it, the first time I watched it, it's very interesting how the movie kind of plays with your ideas of, or like, you know, the shirtless scene. You mostly expect that to be like, ladies, and everyone's like laughing, and it's so awkward. And they're kind of playing with your your expectations. Or the way mm -hmm. Ray is telling Luke that he's wrong, and she's correct that he's wrong. I mean, normally, the other storyline, it's, hey, these young people today need to listen to the the admiral and the general, the older women, they need to listen to them. But Ray isn't wrong. It's not the young people, you know, is it me? No, it must be the young people. It's, she's not wrong. And so there's some interesting, oh, and then don't even get started on DJ with the whole, wait, no, he actually was as bad as he looked. Don't, don't be fooled by the rapper. No, this one time. It's an interesting movie, even if you get to the end and you go, Man, that stings. I wish they hadn't done that. It still plays with you the whole time in some really interesting ways. Hashtag 
interesting. <laughs> like, can I say that any more times? Yeah. So I want to go back to Holdo and Laura Dern for a minute. Because, one, the fact that she was saying pew, pew, pew with her blaster <laughs> is just amazing. Like, you are Laura Dern. You're a serious actor with a capital S and a capital A. And you're saying pew, 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 just like the rest of us. Did you guys watch the new Twin Peaks? Oh, yes. (laughs) All of it. She's fucking loved it. Right? Somebody paid her rent for three months with the new Twin Peaks. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) I know I'm not. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about what they actually... I loved it. I loved it. And I'm still just like, I kind of don't know what happened. And I kind of don't like what happened. And I'm kind of okay with that. It was amazing. It was so unto itself. It was exactly what it wanted to be. But it's so weird to go from her playing Diane to seeing her being lovely Lavender Holdo. I love Holdo. But it's just, you're reminded of her range within the space of like a year. Within the space of six months. You're like, wow. I mean, she yeah. did Twin Peaks, Big Little Lies, and Last Jedi in, like, what, 12 months? I mean, yeah. you get the, the full gamut of Darren, and yeah. it's great. Yeah, but also, the moment that struck me the most was when she's sending the final bits of the Rebel fleet off to the hideout, and she's like, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna steer the ship and fuck everybody up. And she and Leia said opens her mouth to say, May the force be with you. And Holdo's like, No, 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 it's my turn. You've said it to us. I get to say it to you. And it's clearly like there's a grinning tiny Laura Dern is like, I get to say this to Leia. <laughs> I get to do it. You could see it on her face. There's Similarly, in that scene, there's a moment where she says, you've taught me so much about grief. And I was like, what's going on there? I don't even mean that like a suggestive way. I'm like, no, there's a story there. What was that story? Why why didn't I get this story? Can I get like a Holdo prequel? I would be okay with that. I assume someone must be writing that book. Because there's like a Phasma book and there's... A, a rose um, comic book and stuff like that. Someone must be doing a whole other one, surely. Apparently, she is in the book Leia, Princess of Alderaan. I don't know if that explains that line specifically. Apparently, it indicates that she's pansexual. That's cool. Okay. And I'm like, why, why don't I... Why, why aren't there any female slash females ships? I get I get nothing. What's going on here? Like, I'm I'm watching this movie and I'm going... I wonder what's going on with Holdo. I wonder if she's with it. God damn it, she just blew up. Like, I had it and you took it away from me. I don't know how I somehow intuited she might have been pansexual. I don't know. But, I mean, you you took it from me. You took the two cute lady pilots at the beginning. You took Paige, Tico, and that other girl without a name. You're killing me, Smalls. What's going on? <laughs> This is why I may not be as invested in chips as everybody else, because, I mean, the stuff I would have been really interested in isn't here. Nobody consulted me. So, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, I mean, I would identify as bi or pan or something myself, but it's still kind of like, if your primary interest is like, oh, let's, let's actually see some relationships between women, you know, 
all you get at the end is you're saying goodbye to Leia. Okay, sure. <laughs> Does that not feel like the, the, the entire fandom lament when it comes to anything related to women and women? Yeah. I mean, male, male slash fic is extremely popular. And you see less femme slash generally. And femme slash is making up for the lack of representation in the actual media a lot of times. It's not just let's take what's there. It's there wasn't anything there, so we made it up. Right. Well, I mean, we have that same proportion in literary romance. Is There's lots of male-male. A lot of it is written by and for straight women. But there isn't a lot of female-female. I will have to ask you after the show, but I, I read a couple of romance novels as a teenager. I think one was a really, really rapey Joanna Lindsay. Uh, that was all of them. <laughs> I know, but it was specific, right? It was an English lord and a Viking maiden. and That's like three of them. Again, we're narrowing it down <laughs> slowly. Very slowly. And that kind of, it, it didn't make me think all romance novels were like that, but it was like, well, I don't want to deal with this again. Okay. So it, it would be interesting and, and this is totally off topic. It would be interesting to get a list of like women and non-binary romances. Oh well, as a matter of fact, I had to collate a list for another <laughs> podcast, um, so I can get you. you Amazing, know, you gotcha. So I'm going to keep but, this in and put it in the show notes because we may have listeners who also want it. Yeah, <laughs> but at at the same time, I mean, that's when you look at Star Wars, you go, it's interesting that these new movies lean so hard on the white brunette lead mm-hmm. to the point where we assumed, I assumed Jin had to be related to Ray and Leia in some way. I was like, is this is this Ray's mom? They look, you know, and then yeah. you bring in Amelia Clark as a brunette, and you're like. Guys, can we do something different this time? I mean, I am a white brunette and I want you to do something different. Right. Like all yeah. hair colors matter. It's it's <laughs> also like it's not just that they're white brunettes, they're like the British with the cheekbones and like like how do you did you cast them just to the specific like facial structure? The reason I could deal with it is if they were related. You'd be like, Well yeah, they're related. Okay, that's why they are okay. But, you know, why Why doesn't a Kelly Marie Tran-type actress get a lead role in in the Boba Fett movie? I mean, think of something, but, like, or... I mean, we know why. <laughs> I, we know why. Like, they always say on Twitter, retweet if you know why. But, you know, like, the next time you come up with a character, or maybe dig up one of these random female characters, like Aura Singh, or I know you probably want somebody more conventionally pretty than that, but there are several female Jedi in the background of the prequels. There's, you know, well, and Ahsoka, I think, has her own cartoon story arc now. But, like, pick one of those. Pick somebody and make it female-led and make it woman of color led just to be different at this point and and you know it because these are disney movies it it becomes interesting in terms of how explicit i don't mean sexually explicit i mean like obvious how explicit do you need it to be in order to be representation because i know there were people who got upset that bays and shirt were not explicitly as in blatantly gay queer together 
in whatever capacity asexual. I don't know, but it wasn't addressed. But the death scene, you, I was sitting there in the theater going, wait, they're together, aren't they? This, this wouldn't have this emotional heft if they weren't. What's this about? And to an extent, you know, Jen and Cassian don't kiss either. Like, you could say maybe they would have been great friends if they'd survived. Maybe they wouldn't have been together at all. So I feel like that movie, while not being explicit, is fair in that we didn't deal with anybody's love lives. We were there for them to sacrifice themselves and die. So it feels like there's some parody there. And I, I said that and somebody got upset. But, you know, I'm not saying I don't want them to be more obviously together. But it feels fair in the context of that movie. So I also wonder, I mean, in terms of the current ships, like how together do Finn and Poe have to be for you to say they're together enough? Do they have to kiss? Are they holding hands at the end? It's a Disney movie. How much is anybody going to, quote unquote, be together? I I don't know what's going to make people happy. And I don't know how much they need for it to be representation. And I mean, that that's a fair question. I'm not even saying they should expect less. I'm saying it, it's an interesting kind of question and you deal with it media by media, work, you know, book and movie by book and movie. How much do you have to have in the ratings context and the, the cultural context before you go, okay, this is adequate representation? Well, I mean, Rose gave Finn a kiss. And there was like at least a kiss in their original, right? They weren't Disney then. But the problem now with like Finn and Poe is like after Rose, which I felt the romance there came kind of like the romantic attachment to me. That raised the stakes, yeah. You you have to top that. It kind of came out of nowhere. So now if you make Ray and Finn and Poe and Finn explicit, it's like, is everybody just Finn sexual? Like, are we about the harem of Finn? Is that what these movies are about? That was my suggestion. Finn-centered polyamory. I know it's Disney. Have we considered it? (laughs) Can we just show them all holding hands? Can we just... I I had some great art I found of, like... This was before Rose. This is after Force Awakens. With, like, Poe and Ray asleep and kind of a cuddle pile and Finn watching a telenovela projected by BB-8, just, like, you know, biting his nails, just like, oh, my God, you know, you guys aren't awake for this. So... And the idea was it was like a a telenovela because um, Poe has, I, I think they said they decided that the planet he was from, oh, it's the one the rebel base is on in Rogue One and the, it has the, the kind of pyramids mm-hmm. that the base is in. I think they had said it was kind of inspired by Guatemala and since I think Oscar Isaac is... Is he part Guatemalan, I think? He is, yeah. yeah. There's sort of a space equivalent of Latinx going on there. So I thought that was a nice way to tie in, you know, the cultural thing. But it's the whole diversity thing, especially when you end up with, like, in space. So it's not literally Earth. I, I think it's, an, it's a fair and open-ended question. I'm not asking rhetorically, so you see. You can't judge. No, I mean, you can say that wasn't enough for me. But it's it's interesting that we all kind of have to sit there and negotiate. You know, I go, well, it's great that Holdo is apparently somewhat pansexual in a book, but I didn't get to see that on screen. You know, we all kind of have that in some way. But I think this is also kind of the issue with 
the fact that these universes they are getting progressively more diverse in terms of race, but the you know kind of slowly. But even if you only do it for the sheer cold hard capitalism of it, do it because if you if you're not looking at the money that Black Panther is currently making and thinking we should be doing more of that, like let's do that, then there's you know you're just doing bad business. But I really don't think that there's any excuse for making the entire damn universe in a galaxy far far away you know, so exclusively white and male. And even just humanoid, which, you know, which I'm kind of surprised by. I guess they don't want to cover these actors in so much makeup or CGI or whatever, but, you know. Because I know that's what happened with the solo reshoots. Michael K. Williams was supposed to be playing this character and it was going to be all CGI. He couldn't come back for the reshoots, so they just got Paul Bettany instead. Well, and Lupita Nyong'o not being on... I would have loved to have seen her on screen. And yeah. But is it di- with her specific one, I remember reading an interview with her where she said that coming off 12 Years a Slave, movies where her physical body was like an object in those movies, she chose yeah. a voice role purposefully. She wanted yeah. a movie that was not about her physical her body. Yeah, her body. So when like, yeah, they... they you know, like, would you rather like her not get the role? But like, she chose that, and I, I so I'm hesitant to bring that as like a negative example where when it was like explicitly what she kind of wanted yeah. as a. Break. I mean, also, but you have to think about it in terms of like, and I don't want to dismiss or you know or malign Lupita Nyong'o in any way, who's wonderful, and I like her character a lot actually. But look at something like Star Trek Beyond, which I love, but two of the actors of color in that movie are completely hidden under massive amounts of makeup. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, Zoe Saldana playing Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, start, stuff like that. We tend to see people of color in these, like, expansive, ambitious sci-fi movies, but so often under a heavy amount of makeup, so that there is something going on there that is uncomfortable, to say the least. Yes. It and I think that, that you can't dog. overlook that. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting facets to, like, this is good. This is bad. This is a little bit of both at the same time. It's yeah. But yeah, that Black Panther is just such a gigantic game changer in terms of, oh, wait, people actually will pay us money for this and they'll pay us a lot of money. So you have no excuse anymore. I mean, that, I mean it's Disney. They just want to make all the money. <laughs> you know, there was like a very infamous Michael Eisner quote from when you know when his, like, he was like the peak of his time as Disney CEO, and he says something like, "Was it? We are, we have no obligation to make art. We have no obligation to make a statement. To make money as our only objective." And Disney have kind of dressed it up a little more. They're not quite as shamelessly capitalistic, even though they are, but they don't submit. But, you know, they didn't buy Star Wars for their health. They didn't buy Marvel because they thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to make these good, gosh darn it, superhero movies? Well, and that's an interesting thing that happened when they didn't have enough Ray toys for the first movie. Mm-hmm. And they were banking, on, apparently Darth Vader was their biggest selling character, which, okay. And so they assumed Kylo Ren would follow suit, and that is not what happened. And everybody was so mad, and they were like, I want you to take my money. Give me Ray toys. And they kind of went, oh, wait. There's money in this. We need to think about that. And they had, you know, plenty of Ray toys after that. I think sometimes money is what gets people to act better. It's just so funny to me that they thought that Kylo... Because, yeah, he's... It's like you said, he's the Darth Vader cosplayer. If you, if you are... Kylo. If you are a marketing executive who cannot tell that Kylo Ren and Darth Vader are just not the same thing, that one was a shadowy you know, menacing, mysterious figure voiced by James Earl Jones. 
And the other is, you know, we know is a kind of whiny teenager played by Adam Driver. <laughs> but this uh, was okay. one of the things that we talked about this. Remember, like, I think last time Clay was on our show, and we were talking about Crimson Peak and the idea that they, they weren't marketing that film as what it actually was. And there was a whole bunch of people who were like, we would like you to take our money but you're not actually giving us a chance to enjoy the thing that we want because you're not letting us know that's what it is. And I think that a lot of the suit-wearing, cigar-chomping, filet mignon-eating studio executives at Lucasfilm and Disney were like, Star Wars is for boys. Yep. And I, I cannot, think that they still cling to that. I cannot tell you how many cards I've seen at the grocery store for Father's Day or <laughs> your dad's birthday with Kylo Ren on the front. And oh, I'm my like, God. Oh wow. My no. Okay, so can I tell an adorable story about how Darth Vader is my nephew's favorite character? My nephew is three. He loves Star Wars. He loves it. For his birthday, I got him Star Wars socks because he was sad he didn't have any. He is three. He has not seen the movies. Aww. A couple of months ago, he came home from daycare and he was very sad. Oh, no. And my sister asked him what was wrong. And he said, Darth Vader is a bad guy. Because he didn't know. Oh, <laughs> Ow, my heart. And, and I mean... It's kind of a complex situation to explain to a three-year-old, but my brother-in-law was like, well, I mean, yes, he is a bad guy, but he is, you know, the product of a, a failed system and the Jedi's <laughs> own hubris. <laughs> and my nephew's like, sure, dad, whatever. <laughs> to which my answer to that was, cool motive, still murder. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of like your brother-in-law getting like a chart out, <laughs> just sitting your nephew down yeah, in his Highland cow hat and talking about like the complexities of the Jedi system from a certain point of view. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but like just my fan fiction, Darth Vader is a bad guy, and I mean that's the thing. Kylo Ren is at no point like. Okay, maybe in The Force Awakens, until he takes his mask off, he's got kind of this fast zombie thing chasing you in the woods effectiveness. But, like, mostly he's not somebody you think is cool. And then he kills his father. Like, no kid wants to do that. Meanwhile, apparently, a lot of little boys fight over who gets to be Ray. I've seen several young, you know like grade school age boys cosplaying Ray with like no alteration except they don't have the hair for it. They don't have hair long enough to do hair buns and they do it if they did. It's it's interesting how androgynous her costume is compared to putting Leia in a white dress that doesn't even have a lining that you can see her legs through and not letting her have a bra because we don't have underwear in space. George Lucas. And putting her in this bikini and whatever, and Ray gets to be like fully clothed in this very neither male nor female necessarily outfit. And I kind of love that. Not that I want, I want multiple kinds of presentations and expressions. I'm not saying we can't have pretty dresses. I love Natalie Portman's dresses. But it's interesting that our, you know, primary heroine there isn't super, super femme. 
And I find that just really interesting. And that was one of the things I compared with, you know, Anakin Padme discourse and how she shows up in this corset to tell him they can't be together. Okay. Like, <laughs> like what, what's going on with that? I still, like, I'm, I'm not blaming anybody, but I'm just like, what, what? George Lucas, apparently he asked for this outfit specifically. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? I don't, I don't understand this, but that I kept saying that over and over through the prequels. I don't understand this. Why are we I mean, doing given this? like the infamous conversations about how old Marion Ravenwood was when she got together with Indiana Jones. Mm. Yeah. Oh god. I mean, oh. I'm not surprised, but I'm still just sort of like, oh George. We're lucky well, he go did enjoy your retirement. Up. Oh. Uh, thankfully, but I hate the fact that we're even thankful for that. I I just wow. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't know how the prequels managed to be like more problematic in some ways than the movies in which they didn't even decide what they were doing. Maybe because they didn't decide. And it's like, well, you didn't know she was a sister. We can't really blame you for that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I knew the whole time, Luke. I Uh felt it in my heart. Yes, sure. Well, we could go on for several more hours. But we're not gonna <laughs> because I have tickets to Infinity War. <laughs> I think I am gonna try to. Uh, I just realized, you know, May the fourth is in like five days. I may may actually just post it then, but that would mean I'm. Uh, um, oh no! Yeah, I, I, I'm giving myself five days to edit this behemoth. I, I'm gonna George Lucas this thing. <laughs> may the twelfth be with you. Sure. <laughs> like, June the 4th be with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm working here. I'm I'm trying. Right. Uh, anyway, Cleo, thank you for coming back. Thank you. I love being on. Thank you. <laughs> We've missed you. And you can find us at all of the usual places. Give us a five-star review. Help people find the show. And of course, we'll link uh, Cleo's uh, Twitter and all the collective like live watch uh, t- tweeting. There'll be a link to Sith-mas. that. Sithmas, happy Sithmas, happy Sithmas. <laughs> all right, are we good? We're good. All right, have a good day, everybody. Bye. Bye. May the parks be with you. <laughs> Cleo, you have to say bye. Oh. Hi. <laughs> Every time. Tradition. Never fails. Thank you for listening to Anglophies and Made a Fail Production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglophies. You can send an email to Anglophies at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.